Ah, <laughs> oh, excellent! Some more participants for the Pure Illusion Project. <laughs> we were starting to run low on people who wanted to go on an adventure. <laughs> now, now I should assure you, though, it is perfectly legal, and there's absolutely nothing that's going to go wrong on this, as long as you don't mind your DNA getting a little scrambled between the dimensions. <laughs> But, uh, anyways, anyways, um, I, I should let you know that um, due to uh, certain regulations after um, uh, previous misadventures, uh, we, we have been required to issue a couple of slight warnings before you take part on this adventure. <laughs> anyways, um, so um, first things first. Um, the following adventure may contain language that is a bit unsavory for younger adventurers and people who are a little less seasoned, so uh, listener discretion is highly advised. Also, um, the following adventure will most definitely contain spoilers for previous adventures, um, uh, other anime series of the sort, so um, if you uh, are the kind who doesn't like to have your stories spoiled before you've seen them yourselves, uh, be on your guard because that will probably come up. <laughs> oh, and lastly, lastly, uh, this is very important, words expressed by the uh, scientists uh, who are leading this adventure, um, there are their own opinions, whatever they say, is solely from them, and it does not necessarily reflect the dub talk organization that we work for as a whole. <laughs> and so now, now that we've got all of the legal stuff out of the way, is everybody ready? Okay, it's time to go and do some flip-flapping! <laughs> Participants to Dub Illusion! Yes, this is the imaginary world where anything is possible, where colors have no muted color patterns, where flight is possible for everyone, and those bunny ears on your head are just part of the aesthetic. Embrace them. Yes, we are here with the craziest group of participants that we could possibly get. They've got multicolored hair, they've got amazing outfits, they can fly on surfboards, and most importantly, they are animation fans, the craziest people of all time. I would like to first introduce you to our first participant, participant Andrew! Okay, so that robot needs to go away from all middle schools everywhere. He should not be allowed on the premises. Ooh. <laughs> and uh, to my right is the other participant, participant Shannon! Oh, wait, oh, I'm to the right, oh. Uh, six out of ten needs more pancakes. <laughs> For those who were not in the know, Sh uh, Shannon was originally supposed to be part of our school live epi Halloween episode from last year, and we owe her one for not being able to have her on because of scheduling problems. So I passed out. No, no, it was because of scheduling problems. It was our fault. The professional phrase is scheduling conflicts. Is that what? Is that the the schedule? Okay. Schedule. The schedule was we were awake, she was not. Right, right. And, yes. And we're not firing anyone. We're just restructuring the company. Speaking if you want to of... fire anybody, fire my sleep schedule. It could go. It could oh, go out the window. Don't do that. And to my other other right is our participant Jamal. What's my flip flappers? My feet are cold in here. 
Hey, I don't know about you, but it started snowing today, so I put my flip flappers away for the season. Snow! Oh, you're making me jealous right now. All we snow. got in Jersey was extreme amounts of rain. Oh. I mean, it probably would have been for us, except for the fact that Michigan has, like, the weirdest weather pattern of all existence. Oh well, hope you enjoy the snow. At least the world's not ending in your case. Well, perhaps not, but how about a show where the world theoretically is ending? Theoretically. Isn't that like every day? And I am your leader for this mad science experiment, the multicolored Noah Clue. And in case you couldn't tell from the weird discussions going on or the title at the bottom of the screen, in which case... You, prob you probably know what you clicked on, and even if you think you know what you clicked on, this is Flip Flappers. You don't know what you're in for. Nobody. No one knows. Even after we've watched it multiple times, because all you guys have seen it at least twice now, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, this is my second time I going through it. I flipped my flapped and then flapped my flip, but I still don't know where I flip flapped or flip flapped. TMI, Shannon. TMI. No, no. No, no. If, if, hey, we welcome all flappers here. We have no discrimination. Flapper guys, flapper gals, everybody could flap all over the place. Yes, because apparently no one has used the term flapper since the 1940s. Here a flap, there a flap, everybody flap, flap. <laughs> so yeah, so um, in case you uh, forgot about this show or um, passed by it because it looked a little weird, Flip Flappers was a, is a Studio 3 Hertz show from 2016 that really caught a lot of attention when it was airing because it has no original IP. It's not like a mobile game or a manga or anything like that. It's a completely original anime that has a really bizarre fantasy element to it and adventures and animation that honestly is kind of hard to understand unless you're really paying attention to the symbolism of the whole thing. And of which case, all four of our participants here are experts in symbolism. So you guys have all deconstructed this down to the molecules, correct? So, hmm. Well, well, the show did, but um, see, I don't know about you. I look at this Lord of the Flies book and I think to myself, Haha, "Team Deathmatch." <laughs> I'm sorry, Andrew, but I, I I can see you doing very well on the Lord of the Flies island. Oh God. Anyways, the thing I I think that's worth mentioning is that. We could go into a synopsis, but the TMI is effectively two girls, uh, Kokona and Papika, go on adventures in a magical fantasy science-y world called Pure Illusion. Strange things occur, and also magical girls happen. Lots of magical girls, short skirts, butterflies, robots, talking rabbits, super-powered Sand. Weight loss... Um, a lot, like tentacle monsters, mothers. Also, one of the genuinely creepiest, like, <laughs> probably one of the genuinely creepiest, like, episodes I've seen in regards to episode five, which was like, oh, oh my god. god. I watched that in the ideal conditions. Uh, my parents were at home, uh, the lights were off, it was dark, and nobody was around. Perfect watching conditions. Also, that, that is, yeah, that's a creepy episode. Mm hmm. Also, one thing before I stop derailing this train, I want to mention the fact that this is Studio 3 Hertz's anime, the one that they did after Dimension W, 
And I just want to say, I want to talk about a glow-up of a studio. That's a glow-up right there, going from Dimension W to Flip Flappers. Wait, this is the same studio? Yep. yep. Yes. Uh, it should probably be noted that it had... Most of the reason for that is because of the director. Um, the director was actually kind of a first-time director in terms of anime. Um, Kiyo... Kiyotaka Yoshiyama had only really direct solo directed one episode of Space Dandy before this. Wait, which uh, one? Which the, episode? God, oh God, which one was it? I, I'm sorry, it's been a while since I've watched Space Dandy. I'm going to look this up. What's his name now? Kiyotaka? Kiyotaka Yoshiyama. Uh, and while you're looking that up, so uh, so the entire aesthetic of this with the uh, bright pastel colors, the intense animation, and the deep symbolism that you have to pay close attention to is very much was his style. Like, this was his baby. And we don't usually get shows like this because they're not usually financially lucrative. There's always a risk for something that's not so super commercial that you put a lot of money into and doesn't have an IP attached to it. So uh, the fact that all four of us watched this and were interested enough to look at the dub probably should be commended. There's a whole lot of people who pass by this. Hopefully, you listening will give the show a chance if you haven't already. Okay, that episode was trippy and friggin' weird and about sentient plants, and already looking at some of these images, I'm like, yep, this is the Flip Flappers guy, alright? Yep. <laughs> I can't believe the same guy who created the scene about a black guy secretly dissecting somebody in the middle of a globetrotting race is the same guy who made this. I could follow half of those words. What? Okay, that question's for later. I think we really there should are... get started. <laughs> yeah, so... No these, comment. Uh, no, no, there will be comments. Okay, so... Um, so obviously, we could go into try to de uh, dissecting the imagery of the show, figuring out the point of the whole thing, but this show is not called Deep Philosophical Deep Dives with Nerds on the Internet. But expect plenty of those, too. That, that is our side project coming up later. No, you. this is Dub Talk, where we're going to actually look at the English dub, which is... Well, uh, I guess uh, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll, we'll talk about this now. But uh, Sentai Filmworks picked this one up for dubbing. And now that it's all available for both streaming and home video release, let's talk about it. You guys ready to dive into pure dub? I'm yeah. ready. ready. I'm ready to get my impedance synced up with all of you guys and go to pure illusion. Well, good job. So, this dub, this uh, this experiment in audio ness uh, was directed by... Oh, and I should specify, um, this is an episode where we're not going to list predictions because I don't think any of us had predictions this... before the show got done. No. no. This no. is a full episode review. This is a full sh The whole show's out. We're going to be covering the whole thing. And yes, that spoiler warning at the beginning was for a reason. Because we are probably going to spoil a whole lot of the show, whether you like it or not. There's a lot of so meat to sink into. We got things to say. So, for a Sentai dub, we've uh, got one of the best ADR directors that Sentai has on their payroll. We have Mr. John Swayze as our audio director. And we have one of the veterans of their recent, uh, more prolific uh, scriptwriting staff, Marta Bechtel. So, where have you heard John Swayze and Marta's work before? Probably quite a few places. John Swayze was the ADR director on Yushiro and Tora. He was the ADR director on Review Starlight. And as uh, one episode, one show I have to throw in just to make Andrew and Jamal happy. He also ADR directed Seven Heavenly Virtues. Yeah. <laughs> Never heard of it. Oh. Uh, 
I, I feel like you're suppressing some things, Jamal. Would you like to talk about it? I think you should take that to confessional for another day. <laughs> for, to be continued. Now, as for Marta, where have you heard her work before? Well, she's been writing quite a bit since Sentai upped their uh, dubbing uh, output recently. Uh, she was one of the writers on the script for Food Wars. She was a writer for the OVA in the second season of Squid Girl after Sentai picked it up. And she was also one of the ADR director, the writers for Flying Witch. So a, a big, big range of things going on there. So I guess we should talk about how they turned this weird experimental animation show into an English dub. Um, Andrew, um, tell, tell me what your impressions were of directing and writing. Uh, my impression of this sh project is that this takes a group, like this isn't a huge cast per se. This takes a small, like a fairly modest group of characters and essentially taking some of them to some very extreme, radically different places because every single episode of Flip Flap is visually distinctly and tonally different from one another because some episodes you have wacky crazy fun time adventures woohoo and other times you have like kick-ass kung fu mad mass dragon ball z magical girl battles and yeah. other times you have surprisingly upsetting perspectives into the failing psyche and mental state of an elderly woman and a girl growing up with a estranged family. Also, the apocalypse happens. Um, so happy, happy joy, joy. So, in order to task with that, you kind of need to do a lot of different things with your actors, get a lot of personality side from them. Like, I think in regards to a lot of the characters that really stand out, they get to show off a lot of emotional range. They also get to hear them at very different ages, very different stages. You get to hear them doing action, drama, comedy, and some very crazy impressions in the case of one character. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'll say, overall, the cast is solid. There's one or two roles where I'm like, okay, that's a, that's a little odd sounding, but it, they wasn't anything that I thought, oh, this is, this killed the dub for me. They were just like a little odd or not up to snuff as a couple of the other stronger veterans in the cast. As for the script, uh, there's a lot of fun things that these characters get to say and get to do throughout the show. And I think, uh, Marta's work on it overall is pretty fun, more or less. I feel... There's not that much I could really say. More of it has to come down to the actual discussion of the performers and the characters and shows itself. But all in all, right. I would say I'm very satisfied with John and Martha's work. Now, because a lot of the show's um, understanding comes from the visual aspect of it, and you have to pay attention to the details and the dialogue to figure out some of the other details... Do you think that you understood the show better in English or in the Japanese? Um, I understood it. Here's the thing. Watching it for the first time, you're discovering things for the first time. Watching it for the second time, oh, here's the part that's foreshadowing this thing that's about to happen. Mm -hmm. And watching the dub, it was very much pinpointing okay when's this thing gonna happen or when are they gonna drop this bomb so hearing the delivery and the pacing of certain lines 
or things that happen, I think was still very well executed. And it was very visually told to show, but the sound in regards to the dub and the overall sound and sound mixing do a solid job of selling it to me too. Okay. So, uh, Shannon, kind of uh, bouncing off of that mentality, um, your impressions of writing and directing? Well, I have a kind of more in the middle opinion than my previous person that's on my left. That's good. Right? Uh, uh, he, no, he's actually under. Like, he's way down there. He's like five stories below. We oh. are on the internet. There is no up, down, left to right, side to side. We are all floating in ones and zeros. Then, we are all flip as floating in ones to zeros, then someone who doesn't watch dubs as much because I do more sub material for my own reviews and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say I liked the directing better than the scripting in terms of it just felt like. Like, with a show like this, with types of experimental stuff, like, it is my type of jam. Like, you get to see a world as, like, of what the fuckery, and you just kind of do stuff. <laughs> it's like 18F or the really sh- acid trip part to Madoka. However, there's there's so much visual girth or, or visual appetite that you kind of have, that you see with your own eyes, that when you, regist- when, that when you registered in the dub, I'm supposed... To feel like I both understood it better, and it, and it feels like they they did they did something creative to match those emotions. But I felt like in, I felt like in my opinion, the directing was more like they did what they they did what they could to make to make it a lot more and make it a lot more homey. Because no because no doubt some of the colloquialisms were good, but the script I felt kind of was underwhelming especially towards after like episode five when like things got really ah, ah, ah. it felt like it was less about the script and more about just saying very simple sentences for the sake of things that we were going to find out until so if when, you were, hmm? i mean if you were the one who was like doing the writing and directing yourself and even as someone who's more of a sub person than a dub person what do you think you they could have improved on? Like, how could they have made it less conventional and more entertaining? I think, I think Martha tore in the middle part should have been a little bit more challenging with like some of the because like once we get to like a lot of the looking for coconut slash looking for poppycut type of stuff, there's mm-hmm. really not much said because they're like just you're doing the whole Inuyasha Gome thing, coconut. <laughs> It, to be fair, I'd almost wager that a similar problem was with the original subtitle as well, and yeah, I'd, I'd argue at least there is some variety in, like, phrases or wording of some of that, while in the sub it's just like, coconut, coconut, papika, papika. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, there was not much in the script to begin with, in my opinion, mm-hmm. to- towards the end, like, the beginning parts... I feel it was a lot stronger because things were still kind of like unraveling at a pace my brain could process. And then when things got super visual, like the Mad Max scene, to me, mm-hmm. I felt like the script was less of an importance than emphasizing what was on screen. And what was on screen, I kind of get, I kind of got lost in translation because sometimes I forget I'm even watching the dub. Okay, that's 
honestly, that that's something I want to talk about too when I get to that. But before I do, though, Jamal, I want your input on this as well because we've got kind of a mixed reaction going here. Well, as someone who's never seen flip flappers before, like initially when it first came out, I wanted to take a pass on. And somebody on Twitter posted a clip of it. It looked like a DBC reference. I was like, okay, this is my jam right here. <laughs> that did that did grab a lot of people's attention. That episode three part where it was like DBZ inspired. I was like, let me check this out. And then when I saw Poppyco like, went Super Saiyan Blue before it was cool. Just saying. Yeah, yes, yes, we know Andrew. So I took a look at it. I, I was kind of impressed. Like this was my first time really understanding John as a director because I never really listened to any of his works before. Like, I've only seen one episode of Welcome to YHK. Well, that was a little bit more of an acid trip, but that was the animation style it had for, like, being a neat. But anyway, I like how he handled his direction, his script very, his casting very well. Uh, with Marta, on the other hand, I didn't, I didn't really find anything out of place with the script. I like how she took a natural approach to it. To like, where well, you know, you're not afraid to get in there with certain characters. Because I know in episode 3, uh, one of the lies that caught my attention was uh, when there was a big giant that was battling uh, Paprika. Mm-hmm. And Paprika tossed him, and somebody says, She's a freak! And uh, another person says, Well, don't be a spineless pussy. And I'm like, Okay. Oh, was that the Mad Max episode? Yeah. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah, they were allowed to get a little more uh, vulgar. I could buy the vulgarity, at least in the Mad Max world, and coming out of Ayaka's mouth, because Ayaka is a very good Yankee girl, and I love her more on that later. So I I like how the script handled both, not only the world building, but when it changed tones to more of a narrative approach, it it pretty much didn't feel out of place or anything. And on top of that, this is dub as a whole. It didn't really feel much like a Sentai dub to me anymore. It's like it was kind of impressive, like everything from the mixing to the dialogue and the emotions and everything. It's like I will admit there was one episode that did make me tear up a bit, but we'll get into that with another character. Mm. Fair enough. Well, I uh, this is interesting because most times when we have these uh, dub talk episodes, we kind of find a common ground of everyone's opinions. This time, it's all over the place. It's like a dartboard here. Welcome to Flip Flappers. Yeah, the show that (laughs) messes everything up. And I like it. (laughs) So as far as... um, Okay, everyone's opinions on here, I understand where everyone's coming from because to be critically critical, I'm going to side more with Shannon in terms of directing and writing opinions. Um, And I'm not someone who's even more of a sub-person myself. I'll watch both pretty evenly, actually. But the thing that I was looking for the most in this was because I've seen shows like Fooly Cooly before or Cowboy Bebop where characters will say one thing, but they may mean something else. So the dialogue has to be crafted in a way where it doesn't sound super conventional. It sounds like they're they're hiding something in what they are saying. Flip Floppers isn't quite that deep in the dialogue, though. Um, you're right, Shannon, that I don't think there's a whole lot in the the actual script writing that gives away as much as the actual uh, visuals do. So it might just been that John and Marta didn't have quite as much m- to work with in what the characters actually say. There's are, there are some points though, like I think it was uh, in episode five, Yuyuka has, um, like she confronts Coconut and says basically, you're afraid of failure, aren't you? Yeah. And I bought that part pretty well because it's the part where your characters have to 
you know, they have to say, like, this is the theme of the episode. It's confronting fears by actually doing something. You can't be stuck in a time loop where you just do the same thing without trying anything, and in that, you basically conquer your fears. It seems like that, where the characters, like, spout out what the episode is about, were handled pretty well. And in the episodes where more normal stuff is going on, like they're just talking with each other or they're bitching at each other, it's it's pretty conventional. There's the thing that I hate the most in dubs is when they are super uh, super phonetic, where dubs like emphasize all of the syllables super heavily. And I got that quite a bit in this episode in this show for some of the characters. It took away from the overall theme I think a little bit because this is supposed to sound more natural the show itself is already weird enough so you want the dialogue to sound natural but as far as overall I can still recommend the dub to people who maybe want to take some of the edge off of trying to understand what the show is about because the number one thing that I was trying to figure out was can you understand the show with the English dub and the answer is yes you will get the show just fine with the English speaking as you would if you were to read the subtitles absolutely mm-hmm so that's uh, it sounds like uh, most of our discretions, I guess, are going to come more down to some of the individual actors. So um, mm-hmm. maybe we should get into that. I would also say so, for sure. So, okay. So uh, most of the time in these dub talk episodes, we start with like the least important characters and work our way up to the important characters. But this time, we're going to start with the most important characters. <laughs> yes, we, yes. That yes, depends on how you look at it. No, 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 there is no arguing here. And any of you in the comment section who disagree with this just weren't paying attention. Yes, we're going to talk about the robot and the rabbit. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to talk about TT392 and... Yuke-school. Yuke-school. TT392, also nicknamed very regularly as Boo. Uh, this, this is a very conventional anime in some sense, in that... They gotta have a robot, in which case this is like a, a, a little yellow robot on wheels who's like just kind of following girls around and looking at them lewdly. That, also, okay, that, oh, ro- look, that. look, that robot needs a freaking visit from Chris Hansen's stat. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, I would love to see that episode. Beep, beep. So, can, okay, yeah. yeah. But, but yes, uh, anime need to have robots, and they need to have cute animal sidekicks. And that is what our little green bunny with the huge ass eyes is. I love the I, fact, I guess... it's not only that he's just adorable, it's also that there is an episode where he himself winds up in pure illusion, and he goes full-on Barabishi bunny, oh, and it's he... great! <laughs> There, there's yep. actually, there are two episodes. In, yeah. I think it's yes, episode two he, he, and, the, and the last episode. He shows up in yeah. the finale again. I'm like, oh, that's great. I, I'm ima- I imagine there was some fan art about that in the furry community, but I can't confirm that for myself. I don't I don't understand where, where would there be art of this very strong-chinned, uh, muscular character <laughs> with some facial hair on his face and he's green. I don't see where there would be any potential for artwork whatsoever. Speaking speaking of, of chiseled uh, adult men, uh, the actors for this, because even though... Okay, these two characters... Don't have a whole lot of dialogue, but they do have vocal effects, so they couldn't just keep the Japanese audio. We got to get English voice actors. And for our robot buddy, we got the super manly Jay Hickman. And for our rabbit sidekick, we got the equally manly Mark X. Laskowski. 
Now, you have definitely heard these voices before if you've been paying any attention to anime in the past ever. Uh, Jay Hickman, you have definitely heard him as Muto in Princess Tutu. You've heard him as the Fool in Kaleidostar. And uh, Jamal, help me out here. What, wasn't he a, a certain bipedal character in a certain uh, Id uh, idol show that we watched recently? Yeah, I think we did a review of that. I think you're right. I, I, he was, uh, yes, he was the giraffe in Review Starlight. I understand. I, thank you. Thank you. I was hoping someone would say that. Also, so, I'd still argue whether or not that's an idol show, but... Mm. It's based on an idol mobile game. It's an original yeah, thing, I think. Yeah, it's original. Noah being wrong aside, uh, what's Mark do? <laughs> I hate you sometimes. But Love you too, too buddy. All right, Mark has been in a lot, too, uh, for a lot of Sentai shows. Um, he was Kota in High School of the Dead, the gun nut who's a card-carrying member of the NRA. He was also June in Martian Successor Nadesco, and he was Suichi in Razafon. So, wide list of things going there from the Houston voice acting area. Uh, we're probably going to keep this section a little shorter. So, a Andrew, just tell me, good robot and good bunny, what do you say? Shorter? What are you talking about? I've got like a five page dissertation alone on the fact that like Yuke's skill is the single most important embodiment of childhood angst and fidelity that is okay yeah there's not much yes to talk yes about. yes but but you must but can you highlight it just to the portions of the voice acting um that paragraph mark does a really good job screaming like a pokemon <laughs> like the the, I, the one i remember is just basically after they get him out of uh, Pure Illusion in Episode 2, and Yuke's kid, and, uh, Coconut is like, oh, I'm so glad that you're safe. He licks her, and he's just like, wee, 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 wee. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, yeah, that's just the Pokemon noise, like, wee, 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 wee. Uh, and I think Mark does a very good job at, like, raising the pitch enough, and also doing, like, the gruff, manly, badass Barra noises, which is, like, Barra bunny noises, which, man, is he a bunny? Like, is yeah. he, is he yeah, just an alien? In the last episode, we see him as a regular rabbit. Okay, isn't that also, like, the illusion of this is the actual world and the real world to them is a fictional world to... Okay, now, I'm going too deep. I'm going too deep. You're going too far down the rabbit hole. Oh, ah. God. Yep, you were dangling that carrot a little too high up for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, but yeah, no, Mark does a very good job as Yuke's kill. And uh, Bad Touch Robot, Jay Hickman. Uh, also, that robot has a brain. That is never it's explained. That it robot... Have to be no, 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 it is... Okay, the reason is because you can't have a robot connect with the super uh, giant robot later if he doesn't have a brain. Also, just... That is just a horrifying image of, like, when he's broken up, they open the top... You just see the pulsating brain, and they yep. say nothing, and just close it, and never bring it up again. Except for that Next one time, episode where the twins are poking the brain, and they're like, this is fun. <laughs> this is like the Animatrix all over again. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, he does a really good job making these weird little, like, wacky noises, as well as, like, talking like, welcome to pure illusion. It's just... Something in the way his voice sounds. He sounds like a very good little robot boy, 
and I very much <laughs> believed he was a very good little robot boy. That being said, oh boy, uh, one of the things rewatching this again is okay. I could, I could, I could do a little bit without some of the lingering shots of the robot trying to f get a peek. That yeah, said, but... yeah. I mean, he's introduced in episode two as going under an, a random girl's skirt, and we're supposed to find it funny? It's not one of the stronger things, though I do like when he becomes a giant big robot man and, like, starts fighting things. That was weird. He's, he's basically a comic relief character, and for that, he does yeah. a good job, and his noises are very natural and not natural at all. They're very wacky and over-exaggerated, and they do a very good job of that. Speaking of wacky and over-exaggerated, Shannon. Oh my god, yes, 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 yes. Yes, Jay Hickman. <laughs> okay, I love I love this man. I love this voice. I love T- I love- Okay, because I got confused. <laughs> I love- I love this man and his- This and, show will get a lot of people confused, so you're, you're in good company. Yes, I adore- this, I adore Jay Hickman's performance. It's probably my favorite in, in this. He doesn't get many lines- but but the, th the but the stuff that does just seems really natural, and I feel like the ones that I feel like did best in this show, really, really acted natural in the crazy environment they were given. Mm -hmm. He felt like he was having fun. It sounded like also this is where I felt like on a technical level the audio mixing was great because it sounded like an old kooky stereo system. Yeah. Oh yeah, I really like that. Yeah, uh, I imagine. Yeah, I imagine they had a lot of fun, like, putting him through a vocoder effect to try to, like, every one of his voices is given that auto-tune kind of sound. Yeah, but, like, even with, even, even when you don't factor that in, it still sounds very natural, like, he's a, like, he knows he's a robot with a human voice, so he acts like a, so he acts like a robotishly human, knowing that he's still kind of more of a robot. I mean, he's got a brain. Of course he knows he's a robot. I know, but, like, he acts so derp like he's not a robot. <laughs> and Have you ever met a robot that wasn't derp? Hmm, that's a good question. Look, I mean, you look, the Boston... The microwave does. Look, the Boston Dynamics guys are making robots that can backflip and chase you upstairs. The Rebellion's coming, I'm telling Don't you. Don't remind me. Don't <laughs> remind me of the cougar robots that are coming to get us. Da-da-da-da-da. No wait, Jamal, bring up the mood, lighten up the mood a little bit. Boop 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 boop. Okay, so starting off with Yuke School, I'm not familiar with Mark X Daskowski, but I mean he was the best bunny to ever bunny a bunny in the history of bunny. I I liked how he did his high pitches like. I would bet that's something that was a bit unnatural for him. Uh, Jay Hickman is the robot. I, I was ready to write off except for two episodes. What the muscle suit to the last episode, but also episode five where he gets slightly possessed. He says, greetings to you all. Okay, yeah, <laughs> there's no place to really talk about it. The greetings to all thing like made me shit myself when I first heard it. I'm like, oh god. Yeah. But I, I think Shannon's right. They did have a bit of fun with this world because I know I heard in a commentary for another show that when you're playing like side characters or background characters, you're like free to play with their voices as much as you want. I guess, you know, it was something outside of your age. Like, they only were there for a short time. So why not have fun with it while you can, you know? 
Yeah. And they weren't exactly, like, affecting the, the message of the whole show, so it's not like they had to be super serious dramatic acting anyway. It's kind of ironic that I would talk about the robot, because I could have sworn he was repurposed as a crate or something the last episode. Like He was! Good catch! I actually, I took a snapshot of that while I was watching it. Yes, there's a crane that's cleaning up lit rubbish in the last, ep in the last scene, and yes, it says TT392 on it. Yes, I thought that was I thought that was pretty neat. I mean, they didn't do much, but for what they did, it was pretty awesome. I don't have a whole ton to say about these characters, uh, at least as far as the acting goes. I just wrote down they sound like they're having a lot of fun. They are having a lot of fun making uh, Pokemon rabbit noises and high, uh, up and down pitched robot voices. Um, it's still, still, it's commendable that they can do it without coming off as unbelievable because anyone can make goofy sounds, but it is possible to make goofy sounds and be unenjoyable. And these two are enjoyable to listen to. That that is a talent to be a no nonsense, to be a nonsense side character, but still be a good voice actor. So I think that in and of itself shows why why these two have been around for so long and are still some of the best voice actors that Sentai has. I don't have anything deeper to say, aside from the fact that I don't understand. I don't understand, Jay Hickman. To answer the question, I do not understand. <laughs> and that's as deep as we're going to get on the rabbit and the robot for now. So as far as uh, this show goes, it, it's presented as a fantasy show, but really it's a science show. That's right. All of this is scientifically accurate. You can travel into a fantasy world, grow rabbit ears, and fly on a flying surfboard. You just need to find the right alternative dimension. And to get there, we're going to talk about three characters that are, let's see, two of them are scientists, and one of them is an art teacher. So you know, they're all pretty professional in their field, and we're grouping them all together because this is, honestly, we uh, wanted to get the fun side characters in one group. So. For our characters that we are talking about, first we have Dr. Hidaka, who is the crazy glasses wearing, I believe he's got like a lab coat on and overalls underneath that, and who is consistently crazying away at this discovery of pure illusion. You know, he, he's our token mad scientist because every show needs to have one. As far as our next character, we have Sayuri, who is uh, pretty much his assistant and is uh, the more grounded of the science people, so she's very necessary for the group. And also, as uh, far as our lead character's school, we have one character who stands out the most, and that is our art teacher. And she is... Well, we'll talk about her a little bit more about what's important about uh, her. But, uh, two things. One, is she a teacher or like a upperclassman? I was thinking she's yeah. like an upperclassman. Yeah, me too. I... I, You know what? You might be right. She Actually, no. You're right. They do say... Senpai, not sensei. sensei. Yeah, you're right. And B, uh, uh, art is a science, so she's in the section too. Deal with it. So, with that being said, um, who could possibly voice these scientifically minded people? Um, I'm glad you asked. For Dr. Hidaka, we have David Matrunga, who you have heard in a couple of things, because he goes between Sentai and Funimation, so there's a good chance you've heard him in a show before. Just as a couple examples, he is Subaru in Gigi's favorite show, Brothers Conflict. He is Yu in EF Tales of Memory, 
and he was Junichi in Kids on the Slope. As for Sayuri, she is voiced by Chelsea McCurdy. And Chelsea has been in a lot of things in more recent memory. Uh, she was Subasa in Gachaman Crowds, she was Futaba in Review Starlight, and she is Ayase in Chivalry of a Failed Knight. And now, as for our art student, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I got that confused in the whole show itself, but Iroha is voiced by Kira Vincent Davis, and she has been in stuff like the heartwarming romantic comedy Elfin Lead as New. She's also in that heartwarming romantic comedy Clanad as Tomoyo, and she is in... I actually don't know if this is a comedy or not because I haven't seen it yet, but she is Izuna in No Game, No Life. No Game, No Life is No Game, No Life. Let's leave it at that. Yeah, it, it speaks for itself. She's a furry in that. Speak, speaking of speaking for himself, Andrew, I know you've got some scientifically-minded opinions on these three characters and flip-flappers. Okay, let's see. Where should I start first? Uh, let's start with uh, Iroha. Iroha is probably underrated best girl of the show in regards to... I love her design, and I love the end of her episode where she does that really cute thing where she flashes her nails, and I just... Like, the whole thing is that basically they go into pure illusion accidentally, and they reveal one of the secret hidden functions of pure illusion is you can basically interfere with somebody's past and mind in pure illusion. They, through happenstance, wind up in Iroha's past, where Papika and Kokona essentially play a younger version of Iro and live out the story of how her parents' marriage was falling apart and she went to art to, to run away from it and her attachment to her grandmother, who was slowly succumbing to dementia. Wait, uh, no, it wasn't even her grandma. Like, she called her a grandma, but it, she wasn't actually her grandma. I wasn't sure what was up with that. Yeah, some of the bystanders uh, who were, like, the exposition fairies basically say, like, that woman uh, took in a girl. What's going to happen when she gets old? And Because uh, her grandma, quote-unquote, was a school teacher, but she never actually had children of her own. Mm. But the point is still that she basically treated Iroha as her granddaughter, which you know meant a lot to her. Yes, uh, I like the the very calm, soothing older senpai art student vibe that uh, Kira gave this character. Every time I heard her talk, I felt very at home and comfy, which I think was the exact vibe to give this character. We don't really get to see like the meat of her more emotional revelations because that is basically. Papika and Kokona's job through that episode. Mm -hmm. But we see the more casual, calm nature of her with the with the with the tea and the painted nails. And she just has a really good design and some very interesting abstract paintings. I think Kira does a good job. I'm personally less a fan of Sayuri's actress. I think she does alright for the most part. It just sounds like this was one of the ones I thought was not as consistent in its delivery throughout the show and that was a little disappointing to me that being said i think she does a good job being a like big sister figure as well and she's nice to the girls and it's funny to see her interact with salt at the end when they're essentially trying to save the world and she's flustered oh god he has to get naked to save the world which don't we all 
don't we all? Uh, like it's there just there is not a single post-apocalyptic story where the lead character doesn't have to get naked to save the world. Not a single one. It just sounded like Sayuri's actress was very a little more inconsistent compared to a lot of the other performances, and I it, I wasn't as big a fan though. I do think she does a all right job, like being like talking to the girls and especially interacting in those last couple of episodes which had a lot of comedic banter in regards to getting held up at gunpoint and trying to deal with the uh craziness of the end of the world basically mm -hmm. and speaking of crazy holy shit um <laughs> i cannot believe that's david Betranga. I, honest to God, did not... I knew he was in this cast. I wasn't sure, who exactly is he in this show? Because I'm, I'm hearing him for several episodes. I'm like, who the hell is that guy? He sounds very eccentric and odd, but I can't piece it together. And it's like, that's David Matranga. He is mad scientist, swirly glasses, basically on the 11th level throughout the entire show as he is basically on a level of screaminess to rival uh, Robot Boo, is that he's basically humanoid Boo, is that he's screaming, doing eccentric sciencey things, basically talking kind of like this and talking about how things are going to go about, and here's what the science thinks is going on. Don't you go and mess with my things. <laughs> and I take it that you, uh, you approve of that direction. And then the one part that kills me, the one part that kills me is like in the last episode, when he finally summons the robot body, the robot body for Boo, is when he finally, he finally breaks into, like, his much more, like, shoujo, stern, sexy, Matranga voice. It's finally that time. And it's the only time he ever does it in the whole show. And the fact that he does it once to be that very stern thing when he takes off the glasses. I was dying because I was not <laughs> expecting that sudden shifted voice. And the fact that I knew ba David Matrenko was capable of that level of like hyper like pitched comedy was impressive. Like I did not expect that from David Matrenko and I was very impressed. Well done, sir. I'm glad that you said that because I was a little worried that there was going to be some more dissension about having a character who's this much of a cartoon character. So oh no, I welcome the cartoon bullshit in this show. It's great. What about you, Shannon? Do you welcome the cartoon bullshit? So, I liked the what's I like I like the eccentric guy the best. Again, I just feel like it was a it was a very it was very natural to. What's his face? How do you say his name? David Matranga. No, no, not Matranga. His character. Hidaka. 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 I felt like Madaka's like it felt very. It felt like a little campy. It felt kind of off, like as if the voice was kind of like scrunched up on purpose. Yet, yet, I'm gonna say, however, um, my issue with that voice is that maybe it sounds a little too like on the nose for what that kind of show is. I know we need something translatable, mm -hmm. but maybe as a critique, maybe maybe I was expecting too much of what it was. Uh, um, as for his lab assistant, Sayori, it's, uh, I really don't have much to say on her because Chelsea McCurdy sounded really kind of ordinary, honestly. Like, like, female voices, if there was a con, female voices was probably my confusing bit because 
at worst, sometimes two actors could sound the same, and I would get confused. Mm-hmm. And then there was the other one. Which one was it again? The Art well, Senpai. Iroha. It was Kira Vincent Davis. Oh, 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 okay. Oh, oh. She was the one exception. She was the one exception because she had a more proper ambiance to um, that character. And I really liked how you. I haven't. What, is my, what does my note say here? Oh, yeah, I don't is, know. You need to tell is, us. Is, nail polish. Your oh, notes say this just is nail a Kira Vincent Davis character. There it is. This is it. Yes, <laughs> I wrong. wrote here in one sentence a nice, gentle air of a voice. Yes, it was a very. It was. It was. It was. I could tell that there was some distinction, um, with it, especially towards her arc, mini yeah. arc. Yeah, we we see her in for like she's introduced in a couple episodes, and then we have one full episode devoted to her, and I don't think we see her again after that though. Yeah, 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 yeah. She kind of just disappears into the void. Um, She's the only other character who, aside from Kokona, which we'll talk about, she's the only other one whose backstory or insight we really get. I mean, to the characters, it's not, we we don't get to, we don't, I don't feel that sense of finishing, but I guess that's okay with how jank the script was was supposed to be. But Mm -hmm. I like that mystique. It was gentle, but I felt the kind of mystique to want me to know more about her. So yeah, it's kind of on a two for three. I think, and that's good. I think the thing that they were implying was that it kind of seemed like she was losing her interest in art or like throwing out some of her paintings because she they went to her mind basically. Though they didn't elaborate too much on that, just that they went into her mind and okay, that's kind of dangerous to go around in people's heads. We shouldn't he- do that. Yeah, and I was wondering, like, if were they doing that as, like, a deeper deeper symbolism on how she truly feels, or is it just pure illusion, you know, being pure illusion? Well, pure, well, it's, we're meant to take it as that's actually what happened to her in terms of her, um, you know, like, her grandma character uh, losing her memory while also being an artist to try to deal with the difficulty of her parents who are always fighting with each other. Um, as far as, like, the overall arc of the show, it kind of felt like it was supposed to represent... A different version of the same problem that Kokona is going through, because in her case, in uh, Kokona's case, she's tr- she doesn't know what she wants to do. Like the entire arc is, I don't know who I am, what I want to do, what do I do? With Iroha, she did figure out what she wanted to do. You know, she figured out that she's into art, but she's struggling with that inser- uncertainty of like, do I want to pursue this continuously going forward? And so the the show likes to dive into those, what. Uh, like real human problems and they just use the pure illusion world to kind of explore that through a different visual mean hmm. but that's just my theory an anime theory Boo. I'll get off the stage now yes, Jamal here's the microphone that. take my spot okay uh, first let me start with uh, Sayori uh, Chelsea McCurdy between this and Review Starlight, she doesn't get a lot to do in this show, and I thought her voice was actually pretty natural for the most part. I, I can see where Andrew's coming from, that is kind of underwhelming, but it's like, compared to all the other season events of this show, it, it was bound to get lost in the show somewhere. Uh, Kira Vincent Davis as Aloha, I, I didn't really know Aloha much as a character until we get into a backstory, which... That whole thing with the grandma kind of hit me 
too close to home mm-hmm. and like almost almost exactly but i'm not gonna get into that i i did like her i did like her voice for the most part and i like how you said that she has a uh if ambiance shannon because she she sounds like a cross between a live version of michelle rojas and mallory roddick and mallory roddick tends to have an air of elegance to her sometimes as for Hedika, I call bullshit. <laughs> I call bullshit. <laughs> are we are we dipping into voice acting black magic again? Yes. Because <laughs> okay. when I saw that when I started cast this, I'm like, wait, David Matrango was in this show? I was like, which one was he? Oh yeah, he he was Papika. That would have been a very awkward show. <laughs> it would have made a lot more sense for, like, episode 7, where there are, like, <laughs> eight different Poppycas. Uh, he could have been probably the very handsome boy Poppyca. Yeah, yes, yes. Well, we visit that episode yes. later on. We shall. We shall. You damn right we shall. We owl Wait. with a shall. So when I saw, so when I found out the hard way was Devin Matrenka, I was like, no freaking way. Because I'm like... I didn't know he could go out there because I'm used to more used to him as like a Todoroki kind of guy, you know, that deep voice of his and so on. So especially when you get to episode nine, it's like, yeah, this 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 role really kind of takes the cake for him. I guess it's you know it's something different for him to do, even if he doesn't show up in the show as much. At least he shows up more than the other the, the sidekicks. He's having a lot of fun with it, regardless. And, uh, what was it I was gonna say? Oh, yeah, and also, I can't believe he's playing another pink-haired doctor ever since Carnival. Mm. <sighs> I cannot believe we brought up Carnival tonight. That was... Well, was that on a bucket list? <laughs> <laughs> We're just checking off every show we can tonight. Again, this show has a lot of references to other shows, so this could not You're have been right. a coincidence. You're, you're right, you're right. Especially with the, um, the, the one thing that they really wanted was they wanted an entire robot reference episode, and they got it in episode 8. Oh my god, they they made a freaking Super Sentai theme for that yes! episode! Yes! I need to go Holy download that shit. now, because that's such a good song! Flip flapping! Flip, flip. Oh my god, it's so cool. I'm glad you enjoyed that, because that, that, I mean, I, I know the show has, like, some references to other anime, but that felt like the one where it's like, we just want a giant robot episode, and here it is. Also, and, since there's no real place to really talk about it, Kiravitz Davis is also the voice of that one, uh, dominatrix purple lady from yeah. the Mad Max episode. Yeah, I didn't know if we wanted to fit her in the cast discussion, but, yeah. We're bringing her up she, now. Did you say she was hot? No, I said she's not best girl. I heard you say she was hot, and I was like, okay, we're learning some things about Noah today. Well, Before she is, I, but that's beside the point. Before <laughs> I had to look her up, I thought it was uh, another actress we'll get to later, but yeah, man. She, Kira is impressive. Anyway, moving on. So yeah, as far as uh, Kira Vincent Davis is, um, I wrote down that she's got, um, she's got a sweeter voice with a husky undertone. Which definitely does stand out from the other female characters in the cast because most of them have a bit of a higher voice, except for one more that we'll get to in a bit. So, yeah, her. I would have enjoyed her if she had been around a little bit more, but the bits that we get, she really leaves a strong impression, not just because of the design or because of the tragic backstory, but because of her actual 
acting performances. So that was well, it was greatly enjoyable to hear that, and I give her high thumbs up on that. Probably my second favorite standalone voice acting of the entire cast. Chelsea's, um, you know, she's. Okay, Andrew, you said that she was inconsistent throughout, but I think she was also written inconsistently in the original show because in like in episode eight, she's pestering uh, Idaka about cleaning up his room. So we take her to be like more of a no nonsense kind of character. Then in a little more bit of time, she's like more concerned voice. And then when we get to let's save the world, yeah, she's getting a lot more spastic and. Uh, you know what? Freaked out by thing going on. I think that's totally fair too. It's just, I, mm, I think that's yeah, a fair I, point. I mean, she's got. I, I'll also agree with Shannon that she's got the most normal sounding of all the voices. Like not just in the acting, but like her actual pitch is given the most normal inflection. So she's not supposed to stand out so much because she's supposed to be more of a straight man to Hidaka anyway. I think that uh, the belief that she was just inconsistent just had to do with how she was written in the show itself. But I, I do want to applaud her for covering the range of emotions that they give her because they couldn't quite figure out what they wanted to do with her. They're just like, we need a sidekick scientist character, and this is how we got that there. So that 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 deserves some credit, I think, for Chelsea. I don't want to write her off entirely as forgettable. I want to give her credit for handling that job. And speaking of handling the job... No, I do not believe that this was David Matranga. I believe that this was an alternative version of him, pulled, plucked out of pure illusion, and brought into ours for the sole purpose of this episode. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah, is he's obviously the, the most cartoonish of all of the acting in this. And like I said with uh, Mark and Jay, it's it's easy to be goofy in voice acting, but it's hard to be goofy and enjoyable. And coupled with the spastic animation of the whole thing, I think David does it well. Like, I can't imagine a level that you could, like, push the roof on here. Like, unless you get into, like, Mark Hamill-level voice acting, this is about as good as it gets in terms of enjoyable, crazy characters. And I really enjoy the fact that they gave him not just uh, all the episodes where he's, you know, being a crazy scientist with the squiggly eyes, but they also give him an episode where it's basically... I am a kid playing with my toys like they're giant robots mentality. That was a really fun episode to watch. And yeah. I, I just kind of throw all symbolism out the door because the show obviously likes to have discuss, likes to explore growing up. Like that's I the main theme of the show. I feel like the giant robot episode was one guy, literally his most specific fantasies. It's like, on the one hand, you got giant robots galore. You got Super Sentai transforming giant robots, cool animation, slick action, everything's going on. You got the theme song, and you also have, uh, you also have school uniform swimsuits and very cramped spaces. So, very much his specific niche and his specific fetish, probably. Yeah, I, I think I actually said when that episode first aired, years ago i what did i say I, i'm actually i'm gonna find the exact tweet here because i remember commenting on that exact episode it was and i quote magical girls in swimsuits piloting giant robots to battle giant aliens destroying the city it's so japanese it hurts boy howdy <laughs> and I, I i have no problem with that because you know what if you're going to have a show that's shamelessly about all of the tropes of anime, you may as well go all out with it. So, Hell yeah. 
I know we're trying to talk about the voice acting here, but I, I had to call out that particular episode because it's like, this is such a Japanese show. There, there are some universal elements you can get from it. Like, you can, you can relate to some of the problems that the characters go through, obviously, but that one part there is like, no, this is for Japanese people, or at least for, for otaku specifically, and thank God for it. So that's, uh, that's my take on the science. Have we, uh, have we concluded this experiment and ready to move on? Uh, I don't know. I think, I think we there's... have another experiment up hmm. next. Perhaps we should get a scientist to help us out with this next experiment. So, don't forget your test subject. The test subjects. How does the essence of salt work when it comes to procreation? Mm. You told me you were going to keep it classy tonight, Andrew. <laughs> I tried... I failed. Classy spots in anything, but... <laughs> it didn't last that very long, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> I lasted for an hour. Hopefully... <laughs> oh, I'm hoping... Do you think Salt lasted that long? Hey, if there's anyone who could, it would be this voice actor. Okay, let's let's introduce these... Okay, Let's yeah. talk about these characters. <laughs> so, we've, uh, we have titled this sequence world's best parents because in a show that is all about the difficulties of adolescence most of the time you're going to need parents to also give you trouble because parents can be trouble sometimes in this case oh boy have we got some freudian problems here so we have two characters that are um without spoiling anything no let's spoil everything they are kokona's parents and they met each other because one of them is a scientist and the other is a test subject to get into pure illusion. And those characters are Dr. Salt, who is, um, is actually his dad was the one who started the uh, research into how to get regular people into pure illusion. Because normal people can't get into this fantasy world where anything can happen, which is a real shame because it looks like a lot of fun. And in order to get into that fantasy world, they needed Mimi. Mimi is, to their knowledge, the only person who can go into pure illusion by herself. And their encounter is mixed with peril, heartache, and a little bit of paprika. And now we need to get English actors. God fucking You just realized that? God, here we go. <laughs> I just got it. Salt I have I paprika. knew that for a while. <laughs> No, let, let him have this, Jamal. Let, let him have this moment of realization. I never pieced that together! What is... Fuck! This, is what this, this episode is about teaching you all of the things, Andrew. <sighs> oh, Jesus Christ. So, speaking of Jesus Christ, the voice of Salt is David Walt. What? <laughs> oh, he's salty, alright! <laughs> And we, and we just and we just lost 50% of our viewers who have fainted from just the main si sound of David Wald because as Gigi has coined him he is Thunder Daddy himself because oh, you have heard him in a lot of things before you have heard him in where did I put my notes here they're they're drenched in sweat where did I put that he was okay he's Bishop in Garo the pinnacle of manliness he is wealth in you should absolutely not pick up any girls in a dungeon what is wrong with you. And he is, uh, he, yeah, he is a Thunder Daddy in, um, Kakarillo yeah, Bed and Breakfast Kaka for Spirits. Thank you. I keep getting Kakarillo and Kakagurui mixed up with each other. Kakafadere. 
everything. That show's getting a sequel. Can't wait for that. Mm. So, and spe- um, now also on the other end of the spectrum, we have Mimi, who is voiced by Shelly Colleen Black. Shelly Colleen Black has been in quite a few Sentai shows. Um, you probably have heard her as Kyo in Clanad. Uh, yes, we're going to mention Clanad again. Yay! She was, she's Kanata in Chivalry of a Failed Knight. And she's also Saki in Dream Eater Mary, which is a show that I still need to watch. So uh, these two characters um, have an interesting dynamic, and you know I'm just going to let you take it away. But let's mix up the rules a little bit here. Jamal, I want you to go first. Ah, oh, you fuck. Mm. <laughs> uh, well, starting off, the uh, only thing I know Shay Colleen Black, as far as I can recall, she's the fried chicken lady from Food Wars. Mm. But I not. But it's amazing how well she handles this role because she has to play two different sides of you've seen the show. And I thought, as unique as the dynamic is, is also kind of terrifying too. Because for anybody that plays video games, if you look up the game Fear, it's the way. The way Mimi's kind of handled is equivalent to Armor Wade, and well, if you know the story, you know what's gonna happen mm. here. But I thought she handled the good aspects and the bad aspects of Mimi very well, especially where she's concerned for Coconut. Mm-hmm. David Walder Salt, on the other hand, <laughs> it, it was kind of surprising because you know, another nickname we sometimes have for him is the Dilf Whisperer. I wasn't gonna mention that, but uh, I'm glad you. Yeah, glad this is this did. is not one because he's kind of more of a more on the bad dad aspect if you think about it. Because he's yeah he he acknowledges his mistakes and tends to atone for it. He's literally get in the box, coconut. <laughs> yeah, he's and, got the glasses to go with it. He does. Yeah. He does. He does. And so. David handles all aspects of Salt very well, especially when you go into the flashbacks between them. Now, that uh, that's where I kind of had a little issue with David, because when you hear David as... Cause that was David as young Salt, by the way. That was that was yeah. him as both teenage Salt and baby Salt, yeah. Baby Salt, it was kind of a little hard to get used to, but as always, David's actors are point. And Baby Mimi was very impressive because I was concerned that it would have been like too old for the character, but it, it worked very well. And, and despite what may have happened in the end, I thought these two were kind of emotionally engaging. In a sense, uh, it's kind of hard to put into words. You you would have to see the show for yourself to understand. Let's see. Was- Forbidden love plus mad scientist equals tragedy. Again, if you see the game Fear, you know exactly what's going to happen. Especially the third one. Mm. Oh, what, what are these video games that you speak of? Uh, it's, what, it's what you should probably do instead of have. I ain't going there. I'm not going there. Never mind. We get it, Noah. You're an old man. I, I I know all about video games. You know, I I played Quake and Mist and all those high tech games. <laughs> I love you too, Jamal. Uh, Shannon, I'm gonna give the microphone over to you. So as far as world's best parents go, 
What do you, what do you think of their acting? I am wholeheartedly in agreement with Jamal on Mimi. I felt like her role was done really well. Good job. Good job. Good job, Shelly. Like it was it. I you can you can really tell she was playing she was playing up the two different roles. Something very motherly, something something of a mother that lost that lost a chance to ever be in her daughter's life, forcefully. To reiterate, but at the same time, her you can tell her emotions are getting the better of her, where it's almost not her anymore, which it wasn't. Kinda, it was. Kinda, it, so it was, but it wasn't. It wasn't, but it wasn't. Like when we take it as to be like the worst aspect of her, even if it's not who she really is. Mm-hmm. As for Wald, um, I'm actually kind of disappointed I pointed him out so quickly. Like. Hmm? It, it, it was it, it was like David Wald's voice got some girth to it, and yeah, it I, I like I wrote here for example, ooh, my bad, ooh, no, no, the, for like the first thing I wrote, man is his voice salty, all right. It's oh, like it sounds like his. <laughs> it sounds like his. Get off the stage. <laughs> yes, it sounds like like the the sound to the name of the deep and the deep strongness does fit the character. But it's almost on the it's almost on the stripes of I can point him out in a crowd type thing, or at least can I can point out I heard this like of I heard this voice before, and maybe but is that a negative? I mean, no. Like when he when we get to the backstory, it's a I the emotional range shows up, but like he just grunts a lot and and be's all butthurt in the beginning, which salt is. <laughs> but I just. I'm mixed because I just wish there was more emotion in the, in the beginning too, but I guess that's how it rolls. But yeah, it was, was solid. If nothing else, both performances were solid. Yeah, because there wasn't. He didn't have a whole lot to do in the original Japanese anyway in those first few episodes. Yeah, that, that's what I put into account. He didn't have much to do, but um, compared to what I said about the side characters before, these two are the are the most consistent. You can tell. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Mm, okay. Alright, so Andrew. Okay, so first off, uh, David Wald is a man with a very great voice, and you can very much tell, like, Salt! The fact that I could say, the character, the anime character Salt, as portrayed by David Wald, is such a surreal sentence in and of itself, but I love that I could say it. That being said, David Wald has a very deep register when it comes to this character in the beginning, is that he's very gruff, like, manly, authoritative kind of character. He's the man behind the desk in the shadows. You know there's something going on. He's a man of few words that gets results. And then you learn a little more about his past, and you get to see him as, like, a wee baby child and as a teenager. And honestly, he actually sounds pretty convincing as, like, a wee baby child. He He's there just long enough for it to be, to be like, okay, I can hear it, but it's not, like, grating or really straining, it sounds like. It sounds more like, oh, this is what a younger David Wald character sounds like to me. As well as, like, the teenager voice, which is a lot more natural and what I'm used to, like more calm, bishy characters of David Wall's plays. He's He does a very good range and gets to do a lot more, especially in the final third of the show, and I think he does a good job showing off all that and really playing around with the part. Now let's talk Shelly. 
Yeah. Holy but, shit, Shelly is scary. Uh, mm -hmm. I know, right? Like, she... Andrew, tell me about your mother. My mother is thankfully not as clingy as this one. Thankfully. Uh, oh my god. Okay, first off, she is very, like, sweet. She starts off sweet, soft-natured, like, nurturing, caring. Like, she's a little stern and cold, but she opens up to the world around her as she starts bonding with Papika and as she starts becoming, like, attached to salt and... Really like, attached to salt. Pretty attached to salt. Almost at the hip, if you will. <laughs> We're classy. Oh boy, we are fucking children! <laughs> 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 oh, <no>. Why? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I interrupted you, I'm sorry. Sex happens. Anyways, back on track. Um... Now, as for when things start going awry, and you start seeing, like, the drama of her running away, and her realizing, oh, I, in order to save everybody I care about, I have to let my darker side go, because pure illusion can show you the side of you that you want to be, but that side also takes control and stuff. So basically, what we see for the rest of the show, and basically the central antagonist for the final act, is the darker version of Mimi, and oh my god, is this like a level of scary motherhood that's like, I don't know, it's just, there's something sinister and diabolical, you can feel there is earnest love in her heart for Kokoda. But you can tell it is extremely twisted and contorted to the point that it's just like she is judging and she is just diabolical. Especially in those last episodes when she starts screaming and going all out like how dare you hit your mother. You are a bad child. I will not put up with this. Like the tone she takes at the level of like screaming anger. And also her final form, her her final boss form is so goddamn <laughs> cool. Like I love that Silly design. This isn't even but no, final form. Uh, she Shelly plays two sides of the coin of sweet, nurturing, do doting mother, and also, like, diabolical, controlling, self-centered witch of a mother, and god, she plays both pretty stellar. I'm very, I'm very impressed, and I think she did a great job. Yeah, that final bit there, like, I had forgotten how scary she gets in the end, because I'd gotten up to, like, episode 12, and I was like... She, she gets no worse than this, right? But no, during that, that final battle scene where Coconut is basically rejecting her mother's clinginess and she goes full Morlock, I'd completely forgotten how terrifying that was. Mm. And and to give a lot of credit to... Uh, to give credit to Shelly, uh, she is actually my favorite actor in this... Ca like, the, my favorite performance in the whole thing. Not just because of those final scenes where she's having a lot of fun being totally evil... But also, she's the most consistently believable in terms of the emotions. Like, there wasn't a single line where it sounded flat or where it sounded unmotivated. Her entire arc between being a test subject for science trying to get into Wonderland and then, you know, having a child and caring for that, wanting to take care of her, just her child and coister her off from the rest of the world, and then being exceptionally upset at the world for trying to take her away from her. All of that was, like really well done. And I think that's where the writing and directing has it has its strongest moments cuz in the original Japanese as well, that's where the most 
m uh, motivation comes in. And so that's why I think Shelly has, like, the best part in the whole thing. So I, I would have been more disappointed if, like, someone not as strong an actor was in that part, but she does a really good job. I don't have as many things to say about David's performance just because, uh, like you guys said, he doesn't really do a whole lot in the beginning portions. And when we see more of his backstory about why he is trying to get into pure illusion or his entire backstory with Mimi, you kind of feel for him. Like, okay, I I've been watching, um, like, the other night, I watched Castle in the Sky. Have you guys seen that movie? I have. It's been a bit. Okay, well, in the move, in the dub for that movie... Um, the lead, the lead characters are children who are like eight or ten, and the lead boy is voiced by, <laughs> is voiced by, uh, God, what's his name? It's, um, something Vanderbeek. I can't remember his first name. James? James Vanderbeek. Thank you. So, and so he doesn't sound anything like a little boy at all. No? Um, no, not at all. Um, and by contrast, uh, David Wald's acting as, uh, more of a teenage version of himself in the flashbacks. I bought that as um, as a young man who hadn't quite gone through his 20s yet. And knowing that, you know, David Wald has that low commanding voice in the later scenes, that really did surprise me. So uh, I'll give him full credit for not having to cast separate actors to be the younger versions of the two characters. Um, I don't really have any more to say about the dramatic portions of it, just that it's a, it's a strong, naturally commanding voice that I don't think he even had to act at all. He just wakes up in the morning, brushes his teeth, and sounds like that. We, we call him Thunder Daddy for a reason. You stop that right now. I, he, I can't... I can't... We cannot have a serious conversation if we're going to keep saying the phrase Thunder Daddy, okay, Noah Clue? Do, do you want me to go back to calling him the Dilf Whisperer? <sighs> Thunder Daddy it is. <laughs> so, yeah. So, we got... We got messed up parents. I guess we should probably get into our messed up children as well. Are you guys ready to move on? I'm ready to talk about some very evil children and one very, very good girl. You say that, but... I, I, okay, if you question my tastes earlier, I'm, I'm really questioning your tastes here. Hmm. But, but we don't kink shame on this podcast. But what we do, though, is uh, we do talk about antagonistic children who are trying to get the shards from Pure Illusion, because... In traditional Magical Girl style, we have three characters who are sent by the evil organization to gather an untold number of shards that will allow anyone to enter into pure illusion, because that is what Magical Girls do. In this case, we have Yayaka, who is pretty much our our third lead character. It's the blonde-haired, uh, feisty Magical Girl who is working for the bad guys, and is also... A childhood friend of Kokona. She's the childhood friend she... slash third wheel slash rival virile Virgil character. Slash extra yeah. baggage. Slash. Yeah. Daryl, you need it. Yeah. Slash question mark. Oh, trust me. Slashing will happen quite a bit with this character. Mm. Speaking of slashing, um, she's got two sidekick characters, too. She's got Toto and Yuyu, who are these uh, twins who... I'm not entirely sure if they're, like, cyber-nutting. You promised you wouldn't... Okay, I promised you you could sing a song in this episode. I didn't tell you could sing a Peggy <laughs> Lee song. I was singing, like, the Siamese song from Lady and the Tramp. I know, I know, but it was written by Peggy Lee. Okay, okay. I, I, 
I know too much about animation history, but uh, anyways, Toto and Yu Yu are, yeah, they're, they're like this evil cybernetic twin characters who help Yayaka try to get the shards from Coconut and Papika for the, I'm assuming they're like evil priest characters who are also trying to get into pure illusion. Like every show like this has to have evil characters. Like okay, that. question, question I want to ask since we're talking about the evil cultist priest guys. Yeah. So, I don't know if they ever confirmed it or if it was only alluded I'm pretty sure, I personally thought, like, the lead priest guy was Salt's dad who went cuckoo for coconut pups. Yeah, you'd think so, but... It's, yeah, it's never really, like, there's no point where he takes off of his hood to really nail that point home. I'm not, I, I don't think he was, because the last we see of Salt's dad in that flashback sequence, he's, like, gone, com he has gone completely crazy, and so I don't think he's ever gotten back to the point of being, like, composed enough to be a cult leader. I, I could be wrong. Okay, I want you to say the phrase, composed enough to be a cult leader, again, oh, okay. and reflect on that for a second. You know what? I'm going to retract that statement, and I'm just going to... I'm going to jump into uh, cast listing. Like, who actually plays evil twins and question marks possibly evil girl? It's up for debate. So, um, Yayaka is played by Patricia Duran, and Patricia has been in, uh, quite a few shows. Um, we talked about her recently on Review Starlight. She's Hikaru. She was also in Girls in Panzar as Momo, and she is in, she is Julia in, Dur am I saying this right, Jamal, is it Dureko? Dureku. Dureku, okay. So, uh, I haven't seen it yet. So, yeah, she's been in quite a few, uh, Sentai shows. You should um, watch it with the kids. I don't know if you're actually being honest or not. I'm not. I'm not being honest. This is we're talking about. Yeah, this is as edgy as crisp toast can get. It's about as edgy as crisp toast can get. I like that phrase. I'm going to use that. Thank you, Shannon. Speaking of edgy, Toto is played by Philip Hayes. I'm afraid I don't have as many uh, named roles for Philip, um, but that's okay because he has been around for a couple of shows done recently. He's um, he's in Haikyuu, he's also in Ushio and Tora, and he is um, Tatsuo in the Sentai dub of Squid Girl. Carly Moisier is the one who voices Yu Yu, and I believe I don't know if this is one that I just don't remember, but I don't think I've ever. Her, like, I, I don't recognize the name, so this is a bit of a surprise to me trying to look up some of her... Carly Mosier? Yeah. Really? Didn't Seriously? you watch New Game? Who is she in that one? She's the key! She's the president of, of Eagle Jump. Oh. I No, I didn't recognize her. I, no, I didn't recognize that name when going through her cast list, because like here's the things that I wrote down for her. She's, she's Izumi in Beyond the Boundary, which I haven't seen. She's Toko in Danganronpa, which I haven't seen slash played. And she is Yuiko in Little Busters, which I have also never seen. Slash played. I, no, I haven't played it either. But I apologize. I didn't realize that she was the cat-loving president in New Game. Yep. You learn well, something new. I do. So, um, I guess, speaking of learning... Um, Shannon, would you like to talk about our antagonist first? Oh, don't, oh, okay, boy. Here comes gloves are off. Gloves. Yay! Gloves. Okay. Okay, I want to talk about the two, the twins first, because I've been, I've been holding this in all night. 
why is Philip Payne's voice so deep? Like the moment he started saying something coming out of his mouth, I was like, what the fuck? It like, like there's, there's fitting, there's not fitting the contrast for the sake of being artsy. And then there's just, why? Like, like it's that type. Okay, so it's that type of deadpan, serious type voice that you get in that you get in the you get in anime a lot. Yeah. So it's not. It's not. It's never been done before. But it's just so. It's like it's it's like if it's Philip Haynes in a in a what's this in in a school uniform and he just like did the, did the thing air go. I mean, it wasn't bad. I mean, I did get used to the performance of Toto, which is his name. His name is after a dog. Yes. I I got used to Toto after, I mean, uh, I mean after like, once after the ending part. But by that point, when the, when the twins were finally being flushed out, it was kind of already too late. Like, for me and for him to be washed. Like he compl- like every time he talks, he completely sucks up like the, like the he, he kind of he's like oh here he comes, coming in here to like kind of like throw a wrench in all the plans. Yaya Isn't that Kaku- literally the whole deal with these characters is just to throw a wrench in the plan anyway? Yeah, this one was unintentional, and mm. I don't think they were. And I, I'm not, and I refuse to give them credit for that one. Yu Yu, Yu on the other hand is just kind of like she's not. She's it's okay. It's not my favorite. Um, for Carly Morris's voice of Yu Yu, but Yayaka, Yayaka's voice is where it's at. It's uh, it's also on the lines of of one of my favorites, Patricia Duran's voice. Mmm, like, <laughs> oh my god, it's it's smooth as butter. I I may not be good at keeping track of her vo- track of her when she's on screen, but I want more. I wanted more of that performance, man. It sounded like the natural Yankee we were always meant to be. It's not over the top. But it was one of the few voices that reeled me in. I love that you ref- you refer to her as a Yankee because that's like I-, I don't know what the archetype for that is on the the woman side of it because I've only really seen. Okay, it Yankee in, like, is punk, not wearing like the proper school uniform, dyed I, no, hair. I, she no, fits I the know, bill. I know, I know. Like there was a character like that in Tanaka Kun is always listless that didn't didn't sound exactly like this because she was like. She was sweet on the inside. So yeah, I, I like the the Yankee character is a is a toughest nails. I'm a punch you in the face type of person. But on the inside is very childish and more pure than she thinks she is. Cause yeah, okay, I've, I've, I'm from the tri-state area, so hearing you all say Yankee is making me feel weird. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> but like, um, Yayaka's voice is perfect for that type of role. Like, she tries to be the, uh, she tries to be at first the friend that keeps her out of sit- out of it because, you know, she doesn't want to fight her. Right. But then she find then she get she can't go back, and then she's like, you know, okay, you know, screw this, I'm out, and basically shows her up, hoping that she would quit, or get or gets rid of Papika because it she, she now has to fight her friend. But you over time see that like Yayaka's very very pure. Like she's, we never. I mean, we never. I never. Yeah, it's true that I could never grasp understand why she joined an obviously cultish organization. I think she was just born into it as like an orphan. Yeah. 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 I don't think she, it wasn't a conscientious decision. It's I, I'm born. It's into either this. you do this or you get the fuck out <laughs> or well, worse. Well, I mean, she didn't know anything else. Like if you grow up in a gang all your life then you don't know anything else 
Yeah, and I feel like that, and I feel like that's what makes the character even more enveloped. It's that, like, this is not a Yankee character around other Yankee girls. It's a Yankee character in, like, some kind of Ku Klux Klan society worship cult about one girl stuck in everybody's wet dreams. Literally. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, w I wasn't gonna say it. Well, I, I mean, wasn't gonna say it, but how yeah. Bad how she was raised in, I, I think she turned out okay, all things considered. They had pointy hats, man. I tell it like it is. <laughs> You're right! God damn it. Thank you. <laughs> and the sad thing is that, that that's not that's not new. Like, you go back to stuff like Nadia, the, uh, Secret of Blue Water, and they have the exact same archetypes in that, too. Look, oh, look, Mimi can't be too bad if she killed the Ku Klux Klan. Just, just saying. Yeah, all I'm just saying overall is that it's... Um, if I had rating the antagonist, it's like kind of a D on the twins because it's 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 taking a cliche trope and just kind of fucking it up in kind of a weird way. And then you have Yayaka, who's 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 who was a who was like the spot on natural voice of that. So good job and mm. eh, good job and eh. <laughs> mm. I, you know what? That's that's better than you all sucked. So thanks for that. Mm hmm. So, Jamal, want to jump in on this discussion about best girl and worst twins? Uh, first off, the best girl fight, I'll leave it to y'all three. I'm staying the fuck out of this. <laughs> uh, Toto, Phil Pace, I mean, I'm sure you're good guys. Obviously, he's not well familiar with. He thought his voice did all right. I also realized now that Toto was the guy in the intro who's just stiff as this board spinning around while Miss was a firing from behind him. <laughs> okay, I... I that you laugh, too? That image yeah. is very funny because everything else looks very hyper-realistic <laughs> motion-wise. And then there's just him just nonchalantly just kind of spinning like, we <laughs> As he's shooting lasers. <laughs> boop! <laughs> Yeah, you, you. This is where I kind of got confused, because when you brought up the uh, the bondage lady in episode 3, I thought that was you, you. I was like, damn, Connie Bullshit did a good job. <laughs> it gets even worse when you consider that there's a character named Nyu who does nothing. Like, what? Voiced by Emily Deeves, who's always amazing. Look, we can sum we can sum that up in like two sections. Uh, Nyu's name is literally just, she's the new kid. That's what Yes, we know. She we has know. a gun and a thong and that's basically it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Kai Motion is being Kai Motion, so she does a pretty good job as always. Yayaka on the other hand, Patricia is really living up to her name because Yayaka really is like hungry like the wolf, but because God damn <laughs> You had of all the musicals of bands you could have referenced, you went with the Duran Duran reference. Yes! I can almost respect that. Thank you very much. Yeah, so I thought, this was my first exposure to Patricia Duran. Like I said, Flip Flappers, like, like I said with you, Starlight, like, I, I, I pretty much, like, get, got comfortable with her voice. I really liked her performance and everything, and, like, uh, full confession, when I first heard this, I thought I actually confused her with Stephanie Widdles for a second, but... When I saw Yanka coming to her own, Patricia really kind of knocked it out of the park for me. I, it's kind of hard to put into words, but also with since we're talking about Yanka, can we talk about the fact that she is like you're like from Attack on Titan, like that little 
What the fuck they called them? OG abuse? Omni movement. The, the I think it's is, called Omnidirectional Gear, copyright. Like, Omnidirectional Gear, yeah. She got like the grappling hooks and everything. I thought that was pretty cool. That's also another reference in the show here. But yeah, Yannicka is a character, like, is, it really impressed me. Patricia had to match that energy, like, minute for minute. And I thought she handled it very well. And I, I really don't have any more to say. I really want to, but I, I, I I can't bust it. You think up right now? I got gotcha. you. Would you say that trying to trying to describe how good the voice is just wouldn't do it justice, Jamal? Oh, because for one thing, she has to handle all the the different aspects of Yaika from when she has to obey the orders of the pointy hat, pointy hat people. The, of the pointy hat people, yes. The non-discreet pointy hat people. Yeah, they don't even have a... I don't think they have a proper name. They're either. called The Organization, which is the most chuny thing ever. They're the guys who... They're the guys who got too up in their asses about research and now want to just glorify themselves over a lady that killed them in their wet dreams. That's legit what it was that we call. Yeah, the fact that, like, at some point, like, she has to make a decision, a life-or-death decision, like, whether she stays with this group or goes to the other... And she has to protect Coconut at all times. Like, it's kind of very conflicted, and that was not an easy feat for Patricia Durant to deal with. So, Andrew, you said that uh, she was best girl. I guess now we gotta let you explain why she is best Before girl. Before I get to that, I'll do my duty and go around the table. Um, the twins, Toto and Yu Yu, they're interesting foils. They're good designs, they're fun side antagonists who are kind of cold and stuff, but this is one of those things I, I've had issue before where there is cognitive dissonance between the design of the character and the sound of the voice. Specifically in regards to, I think this is applicable to both Philip and Carly in this scenario, because these characters look like... They look like they're, like, 10, 11 at most, and they sound like, they sound like they're in their, like, late, late teens, early 20s. Exactly! Thank you! And, like, here's the thing. The part they have down is the monotone and the coldness in their delivery. That is correct, and they do that part well. The problem is just that, like, like I know Carly does a good job, and even though he's, like, a newer name, I think Philip does have the potential to do good stuff. It's just... They... They sound too old for the way these characters look. And that's something that has been at odds with me throughout the entire dub. Mm -hmm. I think they do grow on me, and I think they do emote when they need to and are very good at doing like the cold action villain shtick but it's just the fact that they sound too old for what their designs entail so what you're saying is going back to the higurashi episode we had not so long ago they should have cast actual children is what you're saying right mm, i should 
No? We should have gotten actual children to voice the cyborg killer robot children who have cyborg arms and spin around and shoot lasers out, obviously. Also, I'd almost argue that the entire point that these characters exist is so they could do that horror episode and do the Shining reference. Like, as soon as I, I saw the robot go down the hallway, they're in the school uniforms and they're holding hands, it's like, okay, this is probably why these characters exist. Until they actually have more of a character thing later on. And it's like, I okay. wholeheartedly agree. I mean, now, I could, argue that they, I could argue that they fit into other tropes, and the show is very trope-heavy, but... I mean, it's, it's very it dependent on doing all that and doing a flashy thing with this. Now, you want to talk about a trope I really like? I like the anti-hero rival character essentially becoming, like, a lead, a lead protagonist at the very end. And god fucking damn it, I love Yayaka as a character. I think she's one of the most complicated and well-built characters in the show. And this is probably my first real instance running into Patricia Durand. And that being said, she does a good job doing this kind of sassy, laid-back, no-nonsense girl who's just kind of living school sort of nonchalantly. But when it comes to her work and her actual, like, attitude when it comes to facing her childhood friend, I think the way she handles that action being an antagonist, but also being a con conflicted, this is my best friend, I'm gonna have to fight her, I'm probably going to have to lose her to somebody else who just showed up into her life. I was always there for her, but I was always there by choice until I realized, no, she cared for me as me regardless of who I was and I want to protect that and I want to protect her and all I'm saying is you can always make room for an OT3 just saying okay oh god anyways Jamal, look pitchfork please look Yayaka is really interesting as a character her design is really cool I love the way her oh, hair definitely. I love the way her hair looks I love the way her like battle uniform works out and god damn it I love I love what I'm going to call punished Yayaka, which is basically when she is battle damaged, she's wearing the eye patch, and she has, like, the black edgelord cape when she's going to, like, basically get Papika out of her fuck, where it's like, God damn it, do you want to save your friend or not? Get up, let's go. And then they go through what is essentially, like, a speed run of all the bosses of, uh pure illusion and then she gets her own flip flapping design and it's so cool and i love her designs it's just, she has the coolest designs and patricia patricia's voice blended a lot better for this character than i was expecting i think she got it all down she got the sass she got the snark she got the jealousy she got the complicated emotion she got the anger she gets the comedy too she gets it all down, and all I'm going to say is Patricia is definitely a name I'm going to be looking out for in future Sentai dubs. Well done. Wow. So that's three for three on high praise for Patricia. I I feel a little intimidated here. It's like, I, mean, I should give, like, the harsh criticism here. But I can't do that because I'm... Yeah, that's free. what I thought. No, mm -hmm. no, no. Mm -hmm. there, is a, there is a level of bitterness to this character that is so much fun to listen to when Patricia is voicing her because the entire okay like her speech pattern let's just focus on that first she's got like a sharp middle voice 
with longer syllables. Like, I tried to look for speech patterns to distinguish different characters, and I could tell it was Yayaka throughout the whole show, even when not looking directly at the screen, just because of the way that she speaks. Like, she's not angry speaking all the time. She's just got this very commanding, long-syllabled voice pattern to her that that matches her character design and basically everything she's doing. Like, the first thing we see of her in the opening is not looking at a giant explosion. That's like the epitome of badass character. Oh, she's doing that and the guy next pose, so you know she's destined for great things. Y you're mm -hmm. talking about the you you're talking about the intro, right? The, yeah, the very yeah, the introduction yeah. the opening. Which is I mean, I, I prom I made these guys promise they weren't going to try to sing the opening because it's a really great song and it's hard for us to sing it. But my God, I love that opening. I, I've oh it yeah, times I've listened to that song. It, it's serendipitous. Boo! Ah, oh, no, damn it! I, I just got that. You bitch! I will not be booed by my great puns. Anyways. So, yeah, everything these guys said about Patricia, I've got equally high things to say about it. And it's not that she's just an angry character, because she's not just an angry character. She actually has depth to her. She, I, I'd argue that she is one of only three char of characters in the show. Mimi's one of them. She's the second one, and we'll get to the third one in a second. So, yeah, Patricia's delivery of the whole thing is engaging and matches with the design which is inc it's an incredibly japanese design like basically everything andrew said about the way that she looks is drawn and everything is like super anime and it's kind of hard sometimes to find art like voices that can fit the archetypes of that like uh we i think the only other time i've seen it really pulled off really well was uh lauren landa as kyoko in madoka magica because that's basically the same kind of character in this one it's like the sort of yandere sort of character design Full props on Patricia on this one. She handled the serious moments, the spiteful moments, and the down-on-her-luck moments throughout the whole thing. So, really good job, Patricia. K kind of a good embodiment of of people who go through hardships in their childhood and are kind of dealing with becoming a nicer person uh, through their hardships. I don't have quite as much to say about Toto and Yu Yu. Uh, Philip and Carly, yes, they do sound a little too old for their characters. Like, I was talking before about Castle in the Sky. This is the same problem that we had in Castle in the Sky, where perfectly fine acting, but voices that just sounded too old for the characters. Don't really know what else I could have done on that one, except maybe actually gotten children, but we're not going to do that. As far as if it was actually detrimental in the acting department, not really. Um, we live in a post Yuki Nagato world where we're used to, like you said, Shannon, that sort of uh, flat monotone voice that's supposed to be kind of robotic. Which I don't mm -hmm. know what these—I don't know what these characters are. Like, I don't know if they're cyborgs. I don't know if they're amalgamations of scientific creation or what exactly. Because they can go into pure illusion as well. So I don't know exactly what they're. I think they were born with the amorphous or something like that. Yeah, I, I it's like they're assigned well, to, to be born with Yeah. It. If you want a more uh, reason, oh, sorry about that. Go. No, I was going to say that the twins were born with the power to travel. I think Yaya got hers later on. Right. Mm. Right. Um, For me, it just felt like the twins were just two pieces of a Ray, whatever her last name is, from Ava. Cause, Ray like, that Ayanami. Yeah. Because, like, the more recent fans, or even, like, mid fans that if, if they had to reference any other character that was popular as a popular archetype it would be that one the 
the mysterious one that's used for the plan of the bad guy. We don't know what the truly is for, and so I was yeah, like, ever, ever since Evangelion, there have been many clones of Ray. Yeah. So pause for laughter. Her 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 her. If you haven't her. seen Evangelion, you won't get that. Oh, I just, I, I just, I just don't know. Like, like the like I, I feel like Andrew said it best. Yeah. 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 Andrew. Hmm. Andrew. Yes. Andrew uh, said it best. Yes. Hi. Um, my name's Andrew. What's up? Yes. Um, that, like, the mismatch of the voice to age, or maybe just the way they were speaking, was so out of place, even for, like, this artsy type of anime that it just kind of, like, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop thinking about it. It's like, why is it so? Why does he sound so deep? Why did? Why do they sound so like kind of stale and too old? Why does it not? Why does it only take me till like the final episode for me to actually cement their voices in? I mean, I have no problems with the acting. Like, I don't think it was stale. I, yeah. I think it was. It, it it it's hard to pull off monotone without being boring. And I can't say that yeah. these two were boring. Not at all. Oh, and maybe stale's not the right word because I did like them. Like when shit got when shit hit the fan for them in the climax. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the emotion was there. It's just I never could fully get over the juxtaposition that my brain had to work with just to. And there there are archetypes in the Japanese language that don't always translate into English, and this is kind of one of them. We have the same problem with moe voices too. Sometimes sometimes it's hard to pull off depending on who you get. And given that these are uh, these two don't have a lot in terms of plot to go with, I I didn't mind it so much. But it, yeah, it did. It, it wasn't as. Um, convincing as i would have wanted it to be honestly in my opinion i think they're just plot devices that kind of did the background majority of the- right it's like i said that there are only three characters in the whole show and these two are plot devices but you know perfectly fun to watch plot devices they, they can kick quite a bit of ass mm-hmm. so speaking of kicking a lot of ass so are we ready to move on to our final flip flapping phoneticism these are the big ones people the the but the potato and the tomato, the chocolate and the paprika. Not the movie, but you get what I mean. Yes. You did the coconut and the paprika. Oh yeah, you put that, that lime in that coconut and then you shake it. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> boy, they want they probably want to do a lot of shaking all about. You know what I'm saying? No, yes. no, that's Andrew. what it was all about. <laughs> Oh boy, I, I need to get these two, I, all, all these people talking here, because we are talking about the poster girls themselves. We're talking about blue-haired Kokona and red-haired Papika, the characters who... Kokona has the ability to enter into pure illusion on her own because she actually has one of those shards inside of her. And Papika is this weird, spacey, ganky girl that we don't quite know why she's hanging out with Kokona or wants to take her into pure illusion, but we find out later on it's because Papika used to be Mimi, remember that's Kokona's mom's partner, a long time ago, and through some jiggery-pokery with the pure illusion finagling, now she is a girl again and is going on adventures with Kokona to get the shards, shenanigans, and Sakuga ensue. Also, her, maybe a little bit of lesbian undertones slash overtones. Well, well, yes. We could argue about that as well. It was kind of like th- a, it was kind of like a threesome when you really think about it. Oh. Mm, and like I emotionally, might... emotionally. 
Yes, yes. If I, yes, emotionally. The way you worded that. I think that's called a polyamorous relationship. Or, uh, I guess in this, this situation, a polyamorphous relationship. Oh my, oh my god, god, Andrew. Get out! Okay. How I'm... many levels of Rubik's Cube are you on tonight? <laughs> I'm playing four-dimensional chess, motherfucker. Let's get going. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh boy. Um, so, um, voicing these characters, we have gotten to... Coconut is voiced by Lucy Christian, and Papika is voiced by Brittany Karbowski. I don't know if I even have to list credits for these two these two actresses because Lucy and Brittany have been around for a long time in many roles that you've heard of before. But I'll go ahead and list some just for the fun of it. Uh, you've heard Lucy before in shows like she's uh, Nagisa in Clanad. She is Miyako in EF: A Tale of Memories. She is. Uh, one of my personal favorites, she's Duck in Princess Tutu. And just for the shonen modern fans out there, she is currently playing Ochako in that one superhero show. I, I don't know, I think it's like... Um, like I think uh, they call my... it Boku no Hero Academia. Yes, yes, that, that, that's it, that's it. I, I, I don't know why I thought it would be named something else. Is that the one with the ninjas? <laughs> Oh, uh, god damn it, Shannon. You come to you come to my on this the day of my daughter's wedding to no. insult my show. Oh god. Oh god. Andrew's going full Megan. Uh, <laughs> let, let me bring it back around to talking about Brittany. Brittany, uh, you've also heard quite a few things. Um she, you've heard her as um Misako in Food Wars. You've heard her as Sorry, it's dark right now. Um, you've heard her as um, the goddamn Maho in, in um, Pony Pony Dash. And you've heard her as Karen Tendo in Gamers. Can I add one more? Can I you may. Since we got Papika, they're both Papuko and Peeping Me for Pop Team Epic. Oh, yeah. Well, well, yes. I was also, also going to say, if you wanted to bring it back to my hero, she is the voice of Kami from Season 3. I was gonna mention that. And if later you're gonna on, drop so. more, if you want to drop some more, and she is also Wendy from Fairy Tale. Okay, we need to move on because we could drop her entire resume and spend the rest of the episode doing that. Yeah, we could. And okay, so to round this all out here, um, Andrew, I want you to go first on the discussions on this one, and I want you to keep it restrained, if you will, because we, we've got a lot to talk about with these two characters. Oh, there's plenty to go about, but first things first. I say Lucy does a very, very good job being this sort of absent-minded, aloof middle schooler who's kind of barely living her life. And it's in the way that Lucy conveys that, that you can very much tell that this is a character that isn't really looking ahead in the world. They're just kind of looking down and making by. But... You see her open up gradually, you see her start having fun, you see her connecting with this character, going on these adventures, having these wacky scenarios, and there's a lot going on with Kokona as a character as she develops throughout the show, and I think Lucy does a stellar job playing both all of that, playing the goofiness, playing the embarrassed, flustered moments, like when she realizes she has a bunny tail and she wants to start chewing things, or yeah. when she's crying, realizing she's sharing somebody else's memories about their grandma having dementia. Or the moment when she basically realizes her entire life is a fucking lie, which, man, that's never easy to deal with. 
realizing, oh, my entire life has been a lie. Cool. Also, Salt's kind of like your dad, and he never Also, told this him. weird glasses guy who's kind of like our boss is also my daddy. Weird. She doesn't take that well. But, no, there's a lot of things going on with your character that Lucy pulls all of the sides and complexities to Coconut very well. And speaking of sides, oh boy, um, let's talk about Papika and Brittany Karbowski. Brittany Karbowski has a very natural, raspy whimsy to her voice that she always sounds like she's ready to have a fun time anytime she's doing Papika's natural... She sounds like a naturally curious child who is effectively also a wild animal on the run and let loose in the world. And I think Brittany Karbowski does a good job portraying that sense of wild, childish free spirit. She also does a good job portraying at least eight different other emotional sides to... The character of Papika in that one episode where Papika is just like eight different other personas. And they are all convincing and distinct sounding. And that's impressive. Like, she sounds like a teenage childhood friend. She sounds like a hot boy. She sounds like a Yankee boy. She sounds like a ghost girl. She sounds like an Ojo-sama. She also sounds like a hotel... Love Hotel Succubi Seductress? Oh, hold on, hold on. I, I just want to say, to anyone listening out there, if you understood every word in that last sentence, you are a big honking nerd. <laughs> You're already in flip-flappers, baby. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, Brittany Karbowski is a fantastic voice actress with a lot of diversity who really, really gets to show off all of those sides and then sums when it comes to uh, Papika. I like both of them. They're great leads, natural fits for both of these characters. Thank you. Well, that's a, that's a high bar to clear in terms of praise. Um, we need someone who's going to really tear this down and give it tough critical analysis. Jamal, what, what did you think of these two characters? Uh, remember I said there are so many references in this show? Mm -hmm. Even though this show preceded that Coconut looks like Ichigo from Darling in the Franks, sounds like her too, you cannot convince me otherwise. That being said, Lucy Christian, like Andrew said, she does have kind of this aloofness to This is pretty much kind of her bread and butter, but the way she handles Coconut, especially with all the emotionality she has to go through, is it's very intense and very engaging to the point that like, almost every word Lucy speaks had me hooked on her from like from the first minute of the first episode and Brittany Karbowski is Papika like I said in the review Starlight episode she has one tone of voice but manages to spin that to into every different performance like I I thought it was just standard Brittany Karbowski fair until you get to that one episode and then she has like every range she uses like every range possible she has like be a little boy to play the Ojo Sop wait to be play the little sister to being a nerd which that kinda took some time for me to get to to play what I like to call her Kami voice, which was the Tanuki Succubus saying Andrew was describing. And the fact that I don't know how many takes it took for her to do that, but it was kinda very impressive and like I I I wanna say why I hear more, but I think Pretty much, pretty. She 
Lucy Brittany tried brightly in this show as the main characters and it really kind of comes into the own and I feel like my words are getting jumbled all of a sudden so before I make an ass of myself I'm gonna pass it off. Fair enough. So um, as far as uh, high praising goes, Shannon, um, I, I know you've got some harsh critical analysis for both Lucy and Brittany so I, I want to hear you really tear into them. Um, I'll try. Because what I wrote here was a little harsh and I thought I was going to go. Because at the time I wrote this when I was, like, really getting into it. And, like, I think what I said about Papika here is kind of dumb. But I'll get to that in a minute. For Coconut, I'm going to say this. Um, just as anime in general, Coconut's character is not the type of character I tend to gravitate towards in anime. Because I think it, it's overplayed and overused. The, I just, the... The, the high the high school kid that something extraordinary happens to them but they just all but they all immediately just want to go home and not experience it anymore and they're like oh I just I want to live a normal life I don't like that character however coconut and Lucy Christian's performance um I felt I felt was a really great fit because it showed that she, while well, she could be standoffish and kind of hesitant to, like, the dangers and everything and not wanting to move forward, she was still, oh, hopefully curious like any teenager would. She was, it never was a hard lines. no, I, I, despite all this cool stuff happening to me, I want, like, it, it's like, you know that type of character, they're type, they're like, they go back and forth of, I just want to, I want something extraordinary to happen to help me push, to help me think about my, my choice. But then something extraordinary happens. No, I just want to live a normal life. I never felt, I never felt that type of worry with Lucy, with, with, I mean, with Lucy Christian's performance. Mm -hmm. It never felt stuck in it. It was really, it felt really intense when it needed to. And it surprisingly felt very, very, very What's the word? It's like, I don't, how come the only thing I can think about is like when you put something really light on a salad to... Vinaigrette? Yeah, it's Garnish? like, yeah, yeah, she's like the vinaigrette. The, okay. her, her performance is like the vinaigrette of this voice salad. It's, it's very <laughs> distinct. Wow. But it's, but it lightens the room for me. It feels, it, it, it she, Coconut never feels like she, she wants to be stuck where she is like her character wants her character wants to, to to wants to have the courage to think to think on these decisions and not feel like she's being dragged and everything so for mm -hmm. coconut yeah Papika is gonna be another one because I, I do have some criticisms fair enough I feel like episode 7 is gonna be the make or break it for some people because that is the episode with the many many Papikas uh, and um while I will argue that the boy voices can be kind of hard to distinguish, especially between the hot guy and the also kind of hot guy, but not really, because I was like, <laughs> basically, one was, about the it's the one that was kind of Sundere and the other one that was wet. Yes, the the one had a pompadour on his head. No, 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 the pompadour guy, he, he like that voice was distinct. That one was that one was distinct. But like, she's talking about like the guy in the classroom and the guy at the shrine who was getting himself wet. Yes. <laughs> oh, the one that she has an indirect kiss with. Yes. Also, there's no way how uh, there's no way to get around it. In that episode, she more or less reveals, yeah, I may or may not be attracted to Papika in some form. 
Yeah, like, um, I do like that raspiness, um, in this particular case. Normally in, like, other, like, in other roles, like in Moggy, certain someone I, certain some dub performance I know, raspiness can be, a can be your own, can at worst times be your own weapon against yourself. Mm-hmm. But I like the fact that, yeah, I, I agree with what you guys said. I like her. I like the charm of of, of youthful curiosity that was breathed from it. Like, and especially with all the things in the scripts, like dude and everything, it's it does it sounds very it sounds natural. I think I, that's the word I've been using all night, but I can't think of anything else that my vocabulary is not that big today. <laughs> but um, that pretty much sums it up. But yeah, it's just. My only, like I said, my only thing is that I wish that maybe it's because I want this, the length of the script to be this. I wish there was more to say. I wish that like in episode seven there wasn't. I there were some times where I felt like I, it did kind of muddle between performances. I'ma just say it as a criticism as it wasn't like the, the distinct voices were distinct. Like the ho, lo, the like the love hotel one. That one was the best one. No one can tell me that wasn't the best one of the eight. Uh, um, she was the hottest one, objectively. Yes, well, the glasses girl was also one that I also felt was a was an issue because I was like, is she trying to be an Ojo Sama? But that wasn't Ojo Sama. It just felt like Poppyco with curly hair. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there, but that was like one of those. Uh, you're here for five seconds, and that's not a deal breaker considering everything else she's working with. But um, but yeah, I'm like, it's the whimsy. Her best aspect of it was whimsy, and I'm good. Very hmm. true. I was kind of surprised that you guys focused so much on episode 7, where we see the multiple uh, Papikas, because uh, when I said that there were only three real characters in the show, Papika wasn't one of them. Coconut is the only one of the uh, only characters that are actual characters in the show, because Papika always struck me as um, the sense of adventure, or the sense of growing up that everyone goes through, and it seems strange and important. You know, it's strange and off-putting at first because you're confronting the sense of growing up. So some people gravitate towards it, though, and others shy away from it. Like Question. People... Yeah. Would you describe Papika as, like, Peter Pan to Coconut's Wendy? Only if you take Peter Pan as a analogy for growing up, which I never quite did. It's actually a really dark story, if you think about it, and that's... Why I didn't really want to draw a parallel there, because it's not really that kind of story. But o only in the sense that, okay, only in the sense that if Peter Pan were to represent the inevitability of growing up to Wendy, who has to grow up, is that what you're trying to say? Kinda, sure. Oh, right, I'm arguing with the guy who's, who doesn't care for Disney adaptations, I just no, it, it, no, 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 I, I, no, it's not that, it's that I'm an English major, so I have... Okay, no, I have, fair. I mean, Peter Pan is, you know, he does not grow up. Pepika is the opposite of that. She is bold and cha and confronts the world. She doesn't escape into a world that is safe entirely, because pure illusion is not safe. There's blood, there's death, there's helmets, there's mind control, there's... There's that freaking fountain in episode three where there's just everybody in bondage gimp gear, and I'm like, oh, right, this is, this is happening, isn't it? But then you gotta argue that she's technically already a grown-up. But then became a kid again. 
Yes. And yeah, that one wasn't really ever explained. To that me, added though. some complications to that relationship yeah, in hindsight. Now, I mean, now you think about it, like when you when you see Paul Booker less as a character and more as a concept. That's which, fair. Which I do. Mm. I see Papika as a concept and less of a character. It makes more sense that way. Yeah, that feels it, a lot it, more sense. In fact, just to go off on a small tangent, there was theories while the show was airing that Papika was supposed to be like the reincarnation of an animal of some sort, which is why she's so, um, like, she's always walking on fours and she's sniffing the air all the time. And there was even theories that that last shot of the ending where we see their two feet in the foot uh, in the snow that the last episode, it was going to change to, like, paw prints or something like that. But well, that, I'm sorry to say this was that, a, not a Mamoru Hoshida anime. No, it wasn't. So it, they, she did not turn into a wolf child, unfortunately. But, okay, so I need to focus on the voice acting here, because I could go on a long time about the symbolism of the whole show. Oh, there's so much to talk about, but we should There shouldn't. is so much. I'll dip into it a little bit here. But to really give praise here, Brittany Krabowski's, uh was the perfect voice for this role, because she's got... Like you were saying, Shannon, she's got that natural zest and pep that can only come from having that raspy voice, which I, I, I mean, I've heard her in uh, in interviews where, you know, she's not voice acting, and it's just a, a more exaggerated version of her natural speaking voice brought into, you know, acting for acting anime purposes. And that's, honestly, that's what makes her such a compelling actress, is that she's got a standout voice that's a really good actress. And Papika's warbling in between a sense of loneliness but also adventure throughout the whole show she, like she's worried about losing Kokona while also being excited to go off on adventures uh, like very blindly and Brittany's sense just natural sense of gee Willikers mentality just fits with that really well um and I can't really think of another way to translate the archetype of the original Japanese because the Japanese actress M.A.O is one of those actresses that's been in a lot of things and kind of made a name for having that uh, that genki girl over-the-top voice that's really hard to do convincingly in English. But, hey, Britney's one of the best in that regards. I am really surprised, though, by Lucy Christian because, and I wrote this after watching the first episode, this is probably the least recognizable that Lucy has been, at least to my ears. Because when I hear Lucy's... Uh, most recognizable voice. It's the Ochaka voice. It's the uh, Tenma in School Rumble voice, or it's the Ron in Super Gals voice. That like you hear it and you recognize that timbre as being Lucy's. But I don't hear a trace of that in her coconut voice. It's a very serious voice. It's a like she has more full syllables that sounds less like a small girl and more like an adult, which I guess she is. But in this sense, it really stands in contrast to what I'm used to hearing her as. And honestly, it, it fits really well with Coconut, too, because Coconut's not a silly girl. She's not even acting like a girl. She's a young woman who's, like, growing into adulthood. Unclear of what exactly that is going to mean for her, so the voice that Lucy chose to give her fits very well with her arc throughout the whole thing. On the topic, though, really quickly of, like, her name, um, you guys have been probably thinking that it's supposed to be like the the word coconuts right mm-hmm okay i was thinking about like co- like cocoa and chocolate okay well another yeah that's another one that people have had as well my theory on this and i haven't really read any like confirmation from the director or not but there's a whole lot of butterfly imagery in this whole show 
like she has a butterfly clip in her hair. Oh, she, there are butterflies in the last episode. Their costumes have wings. I'm pretty sure that her name is supposed to be a reference to cocoon, like a butterfly cocoon. And because, Poppy oh, that, has to be like that a would make much more sense. Oh. That Wouldn't makes- it? Yeah. But wouldn't, like, Poppycus be, like, a pupa because, like, it's the pupa state because she was a... Yeah. She was a, she was a butterfly and then she got shrunk back to a kid form because... You're catching on, Shannon. You're oh, fuck. On. And then the, their final form, which is, like, the wedding gown with, with the wings. Yes. Yeah. Oh, shit. We yep. symbolismed. Fuck. I told you, Andrew, I am an English person who looks for patterns and symbols in everything. I just got Doctor Who'd, yes. <laughs> so, that is the, the deep symbolism of the whole thing. So, uh, before we start recording, I asked Andrew when he figured out what the, the meaning of this show is. And I, I to spoil it for everyone else, the, the real point of the show is it's an analog about the difficulties of growing up. And you can't really get more on the nose than that than a butterfly, which, you know, metamorphosizes into something else. Just like how kids metamorphosize into an adult. And that is where we get this really crazy show. Now you understand it better. And now you can tell everyone else how smart you are. I kind of feel, but I kind of feel sad, though, that now that we know, because... Oh, it's, it's, let's, it's, let's be real here. There's plenty of stuff to di- to dissect when you look closer into the other individual episodes. Yeah, that was just one aspect of it. There, you can find a ton more in there. Like, I'm still not entirely sure what the like what they were referencing in episode five with the creepy "I'm stuck in a school" episode. Like, what? What? Maybe like, it's like stuck in a rut and like something well, no, can't no, move on. Well, no, I get when you that. Dis- when you describe the aspect about uh, this tough growing up episode, maybe that's why there was a time loop episode, because maybe they didn't want to grow up. Well, no, it was, but I mean, I don't know what the, the actual setting, like the sip tea in a, a boarding school setting was. Like, I don't know what that was referencing. Like I said, the, there's symbolism in the central show, but individual episodes, there's a lot of, okay, we're now Mad Max, we're now Super yeah. Sentai Robot, <laughs> and we're now, like, uh, in somebody's grandma's tragic past, basically. Yeah. It does a lot, yeah, it does a lot thing. of stuff. So, yeah, let's talk, let's let everyone have their final words on that, because now we've gone through the full cast list, and we are at... Uh, as of recording, we're about two hours into our recording, so um, I think we need to let everyone have their final words. And by the way, by the way, for all of you who have gotten this far, the code word to get the grand prize in the comment section, you gotta say the word is... Amorphous. Yes. I didn't actually have a word thought up, so yes, the word is amorphous. If you can spell it correctly, you get the ultra grand prize. So, Andrew... The prize of being recognized for actually listening... Uh, As for uh, my thoughts, uh, Flip Flappers is a visually distinct kind of show. Like, watching it from early fall 2016, I knew this was something I kind of wasn't going to see anywhere else. It was, every episode felt like I was going to get something different, and then the main narrative kicks in and it gets crazy and engaging it is a visual splendor that is just ripe with character, symbolism, imagery, and things to dissect. It is animation porn to its utmost pure potential. And 
it is something I was very ho much hoping was going to get a dub down the road. I'm very glad to say that the dub is good. I think there's a couple of things that are like a little rough around the edges and there's a couple of performances I thought weren't as consistent or maybe even a little miscast, but I feel overall what this dub does with its central cast and its leading ladies as well as just the general sound and atmosphere, plus just this is a show that needs to be seen, consumed with oh, yeah. your eyeballs, and I think the dub is definitely a strong alternative to really digest everything that's going on visually. This is a show that is very unique, very fun, very crazy, and a good time all around. I think uh, John Swayze, Marta, and the rest of the cast and crew did a solid, commendable job with flip flappers, and I would flip flap, flip flap all over again. Shannon, your final thoughts on the show and the dub itself. <laughs> Flip-floppers to me is what would happen when you drop a pile of Skittles onto your kitchen floor and it spells out some kind of alien cryptum inside some kind of weird twilight zone. It has that type, it's that type of weird what the fuckery show that I personally like, but it's pretty much not everyone's cup of tea since the visuals may be on an artsy level of oh, but it just punches you in the face with so much sensory overlord that you kind of forget you kind of forget to pre-appreciate what this dub what this dub does well. While I argue that a lot of the smaller roles could have been better, as as my previous cohort has stated, that Hi. it's a little rough. Hi, hi. Um, that is a little rough around the edges. And there are some things that could turn a little people off. Oh, the main, again, as I, I agree, the core devices between Coconut, Papika, and Yayaka are, are really, are pretty much what you come to this dub for. Come to this dub if you want to find some kind of, if you want to kind of find a, sens a sensual roadmap into this, Visuals, visual fruity loops pile. Cause while and cause while I do say the sub itself, the sub itself is still pretty, is still pretty good and okay. You kind of get lost in translation when you can't understand the words, especially for an anime about so much what the fuckery. So I give the I give the dub a good. Yeah. I give it a good. I wow. give it a good. <laughs> well, all right then. Jamal, do you give the dub a good? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, the show itself, honestly, as good as it looked, for me, it could have easily been a pass and somebody not convinced me to give it a chance. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely an acid trip when you first start out, but <laughs> when you get about halfway through the show, it kind of takes you back down to Earth to under really understand, like, what the meat of this show is about, what the crux of this show is about. And I think that is where you really start to understand these characters more and more. Like, I would agree some characters you can take or leave it, but don't count them entirely out just yet. Give them a chance first because you never know. As for the dub itself, the dub is pretty much to me one of Sentai Stronger's efforts because from John's direction to about the script writing to the mixing, it 
didn't feel like a usual Sentai dub. It's not like something that I've usually listened to, like Food Wars or. Actually, no. It's, if I had to equate this, its equivalent would be probably Love Chinibio and other delusions. That dub was just as strong too. So yeah. So how you look at it? I I pretty much am impressed with this dub overall. Hopefully, I don't know, I guess maybe it goes somewhere on my list of dubbies. It's just that good. I like, have a question for you. What's up? Did this show scratch your magical girl itch for you? <laughs> in, a, <laughs> in a way, yes, because I thought, it, when I saw the characters, I thought it was just going to be another magical girl show. Turns out it was something just more than that, actually. So, to that one guy on Twitter, thank you for posting that clip, man. Like, you really had me sold. Now, did you see that clip before or after I made you guys watch the first episode at Anime Fest? Way before, because I remember retweeting it, and I think Andrew commented on it or something like that. Okay. Mm. Actually, that is a good question to think about. Did this show um, add to another notch in the magical girl realm? Surprisingly, I'm going to say no. Because well, I, mean, I don't. Yeah, go ahead. I saw this more as like a cool sci-fi ish type of thing. Cause all the magical girl stuff was obviously there, and the fantasy world. It just it felt like yeah, it felt like it was a bunch of things. I I, I can see how you came to that conclusion. What I think this is on the one hand, it's magical girls for the main characters. But on the other hand, the antagonist is more like common writer in a sense. Hmm. I mean, this is an amount. I mean, it's a very sub, not subversive, um, surreal show, and surrealism is supposed to be the accumulation of your subconscious. And this really is a show that feels like it's some otaku. It's dreams of all the shows he's seen kind of melded together, which includes Magical Girls, Super Sentai, Giant Robots, Common Rider. Yes. Long story short, takes all the tropes, all the genres of shows, turns it upside down its head, while giving you a good story at the same time. Yeah, and that's that's the glue that I think holds this whole thing together. If this was just mm -hmm. a Sakuga display that had no uh, core story, it was just we want pretty things to look at. You'd have another um, what's that one Kyoani show? Myriad Colors, Phantom, Phantom World. World. Yeah, I was but... gonna say you'd have the eighteen if. Oh, I haven't seen that yet, so I can't. Oh, comment. don't get me started on 18F. Let's not. We should probably wrap no, up. No, no. Let's focus on this good show here because, yeah, I, I love a show that looks good and feels like classical literature because the details of the themes it's trying to get across are admittedly really simple. It's a really simple thought that growing up is hard and some people just have a hard time dealing with it. That's a simple thing that a lot of people can relate to. So it tells it with crazy visuals and a lot of heart to it. Like there's a really strong heart in this whole thing that gets yeah. lost in all of that gets lost in all of the explosions and skittle fruity loop fruity pebbles it, if you're not paying attention. It also deals with the saying it's better to have loved and lost it to never have loved it all. Yeah, so yeah, like uh, you guys were saying, there's a whole lot of smaller themes in the individual episodes that are easy to overlook if you're just focusing on one theme. So I'm glad that you guys picked up on a lot of those themes throughout. In fact, it'd probably take a couple more viewings for anyone to get all of them. 
So I have nothing but high praise to say about this. I'm so glad we finally got to do this episode. I'm really also glad that Sentai put out like a super fancy DVD Blu-ray uh, limited edition release that y'all should go pick up when you. I may it. or may not get it with the next holiday sale because oh my God, of this template. The, yeah. What this would look like in Blu-ray? Oh mm. yeah. I mean, you thought it looked good on a on your computer or on your phone? Oh, you ain't seen nothing till you've seen 4K visuals. You know what? I'm also glad about. What? I'm glad we finally gave Shannon her IOU episode. I'm glad Yay! you were here for us. Yes! Finny. I'm glad yes. you were finally here for here for that, Shannon. Yay! I, I had really high standards going into this, so I'm not as blown away by it as I would be for uh, something that the same team would put together, but that's just because this is such an unconventional show that uh, a conventional dub like it got just isn't the this is standard that I would have expected. But honestly, I think it's better to have, to have played it conventional and competent instead of trying to be more bizarre and potentially failing in just adapting the script. That's a, a compromise I'm willing to make on this one. It is still good enough that I can say that if you're more of a dub person, then by all means, take a listen to this in the dub. Uh, also, like Shannon said, it's a little easier to follow along if you're not paying attention to the subtitles all the time. Some people retain information better if they read it than hear it, though, so I'd say they're about equal to each other. But it's still a really good show and a really great experience, regardless of which audio track you listen to. And that is pure audio, which means we are finished with our episode! I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> it's because that's the last episode of the show. Oh shit! Oh, mm. that's for the—that's for the the people—that's for the people in the back of the audience. Because we finish off all of our episodes by plugging. Yes, just like plug suits, we plug ourselves hardcore. Because if you want to watch Flip Flappers, and after this whole spiel, how could you not? It is available for streaming. Yes, High Dive, the premier streaming service for Sentai Filmworks, has this show available up in its entirety in both sub and dub. So go check that out. And while you're there, if you do not already have a, a High Dive account, we actually have a special offer here. Because if you use the code DUBTALK2018, then you get a discount on your subscription to High Dive. Yes, yeah, so plug in that code because it's really awesome that High Dive gave us the opportunity. Thank you very much. Tell High Dive that we sent you your way. And as we also saying before, if you want to own this series because you are a collector of exquisite animation, it is also available in both standard uh, Blu-ray release and in a fancy holographic limited edition release from Sentai Filmworks. So if there's a sale... Get it while it's still available. It is currently, as of recording right now, this is november 9th it is currently listed as low inventory on their Ooh, website so that I second that gets on a sale i gotta start looking at that huh absolutely no guarantee that you know it will be around after the next sale so if you see it as they as we say on twitter buy it or you're dumb mm. or you're or you're broke that that works too that too so as for ourselves um if you've enjoyed this little uh audio experiment that is the dub talk podcast feel free to click subscribe if you're not already subscribed to us and also follow us we have a twitter account which is dub talk podcast we also have an instagram at dub talk podcast tumblr account at dub talk podcast and a twitch account at 
you'll never guess, Dub Talk Podcast. So follow us there for all of our developments as we have new episodes every week to cover the latest, greatest, and sometimes the oldest dubs that the English-speaking world has ever created. And to wrap it up, I'd like to give each of my cohorts a chance to tell us what they are doing in the World Wide Web. Andrew! Hi, my name is Andrew. You'll also find me on Twitter at Mangaman9000 or know me as Classy Spartan. As for my other things, uh, I am a moderator for the Funimation Forum slash Discord, as well as a other co-host on another anime-based podcast with fellow Dub Talk host Jet, the podcast ONA for Surreal Resolution. Very cool. Jamal, would you like to tell us what you, you're up to these days? Uh, usually I'm on Twitter, Jamstar1. I mean, at Jabstar529. I'm <laughs> on YouTube at Jabstar1. I do have something that works right now. I also have a blog that I keep talking about for some reason. And if you excuse me, I'm going to go take a flap nap. And uh, if you if you get what that's a reference to, I'll give you five bucks. Well, I'm holding you to that. Not, not, not really. Not really. <laughs> and now to finish it off, our special guest host for the night. Shannon, tell us more about yourself. Oh, 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 it, oh yeah, it's my time to shine. Uh-uh. Well, 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 viewer, you have made it to the end of the, you made it to the end of this podcast. And I would like to tell you, where if you want to see me somewhere any somewhere else on this big wide world web, then how about you consider coming over to the Anime Misfit side on YouTube, where I do everything, where I do everything and anything that's anime misfitly. What does Misfitly sound? It's the place. It's the place where you can be free to talk whatever you want. If you want to say that that person sounds like a tomato, then you go right ahead. If you want to say that surrealist anime is just as fun as anime that does not make sense at all, then you go right ahead. If you have, if you love, if you think your waifu is trash, and so is I, then de- then it shall be. You go so- fi- and you can find my content content at at am Shannon on Twitter. The Anime Misfit on YouTube, Discord, Reddit, crap, crap, sites, Facebook, and BitChute, which is that place where, which is that place where a lot of YouTube no-no videos go when they want to take them down for the umpteenth time from copyright strike. So throw anyway. a girl a bone and subs- consider subscribing to the Anime Misfit today, where Taco Day is always free. She does good work. It's worth your time. Give her a subscriber. Check her stuff out. She's worth your time. I'll tell you that much. Amen. Thank you, Shannon. It was really great to have you here for this episode. It's always yeah. a pleasure. Actually, it's uh, we need to talk more often. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I don't. Uh, wh- I don't know which chat. Wait. Are we? Are we like? Are we talky talky? Or are we still? No, no, we, we just talk via uh, carrier pigeons. We'll work our way up to talkie talkie. Look, I have you on Discord now, so I can PM you every now and then or something like that. Yeah, because I always try to, like, talk to you guys, but I don't know what the official ch- place is to talk to you guys, but, like, there's, like, so we- many there's like so many chat rooms to take care no, of. No, I get you, I get you, but we'll keep in touch for sure. And we'll make sure to go on another Pure Illusion adventure, maybe someday. Badumps. And to round it out, I just, uh, I, I think I have a Twitter account. Yeah, I got a Twitter account. Um, it's at NoahClue. I l- really like to talk about animation of all kinds, both east, west, north, south, and interdimensional as well. 
or if you just want uh, pictures of children as they're growing up. I also use my Twitter for that because when you have cute, adorable kids, you get to share them with the world. And I also have a YouTube channel, which is Journey Traveler, in progress for productions on stuff starting in 2019 for making the animation community a better place and not just umpteen million videos about how Teen Titan Go needs to go away or why SpongeBob SquarePants will never ever die. We, we attempt to be a bit deeper than that. Coming soon. And with that, my fine experiments, it's time to head back into pure illusion and to never return. Flip flop flip flap Oh god we're so off tune it's terrible but flip flap flip flap is such a good ED and I've got almost two and a half hours without bringing it up until now Way to yes. go, people. That's it. That's our cue to stop. Thank you all for coming. Have a great day. Flip flap away. Otaku on, my Otaku. friends. And flip flap. Keep it flapping. Keep it flapping. Flap Tip your waitresses. <laughs>